everyone welcome to another installment of the bat around i'm your host paul valley this is my immeasurable co-host and producer zach goodman again this is the bat around and the bat around is brought to you today by the tyus bowser show join the baltimore linebacker and a special guest teammates at various locations around town with your chance to get pictures and autographs and your everything that needs to be said before and after games if you can't make it out you can watch the shows at live at facebook.com slash pressbox sports or listen to them the next day. The Tyus Bowser Show is brought to you by Great Ace Memorabilia and Press Box, as well as Window Depot, windowdepotbaltimore.com, and Duffy's Garage in Baldwin, duffysgaragemd.com. The NFL chick Sarita Hubbard joins the show courtesy of my bookie. Find out more about the Tyus Bowser Show at pressboxonline.com slash bowser or at great8smemorabilia.com. That's great, the number 8, the letter S, memorabilia.com. The next Tyus Bowser show is this Tuesday night, December 21st at the Bowman on Hartford Road in Parkville. Plus, this week, you can meet Tyler Huntley, Anthony Averett, and Maryland basketball stars Eric Ayala and Fats Russell for free. If you donate new unwrapped toys or gift cards for Great Eights Memorabilia's Holiday of Hope Toy Drive, find details at GreatEightsMemorabilia.com. Great Eights Memorabilia with number eight, the letter S. Good morning, Zachary. Good How morning. How are you? Turn me Good up, morning. please. Good morning. I'm a little low. See, it says you're way in the red for me, so I don't know. Oh, maybe it's my headphones. And maybe. I don't know. But it, it, I'm doing good. How are you? It's a, not the nicest day out, but... It's warm. That's it is all, warm. That, that's all I care it about. It is warm. If it's raining, but it's warm in December... I'm good. If it's raining and it's warm in like I mean, I'd May, rather it not June, rain, but... Whatever, man. I, I <laughs> Bakers can't be choosers. It was 34 degrees Fair. on Monday. Fair. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm, I'm good with this. I'm good with this. So look, uh, Major League Baseball is making it hard for us, right? We talked about this last week about how there's a lockout and there's not much going on on the Major League side of things for any of the teams, including the Orioles. However... The Orioles are still doing some work. They did sign a catcher, everyone. They yes. just, they signed a catcher, Jacob Nottingham. They signed him to a minor league deal. He's number, he was the number 66 overall prospect prior to 2016. Not great major league numbers, um, but only barely a cup of coffee in the big leagues, but the the numbers aren't great. He's been decent at times, and the minors overall not great the last couple of years, though. Look, they still need a major league catcher. There's not many out there that you would take for a backup, that would probably take a backup role, though. Uh, we're going to get into that a second in a second, but uh, Jacob Nottingham, that's basically just a minor league depth move at this point, right? I, I agree for the most part, but I also think there's a chance he becomes the starter for opening day if he proves himself in spring training they like him enough the Orioles have no one on the 40-man roster that's a catcher right now we obviously know Rutschman's coming but we don't know when it's the, the that's obviously the big question going into the 2022 season is that Adley Rutschman's going to debut but we don't really know when and I think Nottingham is a piece that he could be a good defender um, I know he has a pretty good arm I don't know about his framing I don't I've heard it's maybe not the best but the bat obviously like you mentioned before the numbers just aren't good at all um so it's you know he, he was a top prospect and I don't mind giving a guy like that a shot I like this move 
And I think the Orioles need to keep adding some catchers like this to bring competition into spring training. And you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind seeing them bring back a guy like Brian Holiday, someone like that who's like a great defender. And I don't know where Brian Holiday even is at this point. But I I, I don't think he played this year. He may he, he might may not be, have. he may be done. Yeah, I, he I, may I, be. I, but I, someone like that who's like a you know 34, 35 years old and who can really catch. That's the kind of guy I'd be looking for. Well, there's there's a number of guys out there. Um, and look, Rutschman's also going to play some first base. Yeah. He's going to DH some, yeah. so there's going to be a little bit more opportunity than people think. Now, look, Rutschman's probably going to catch. Once he becomes your everyday catch, he's probably catching five out of every six games. I was going to say, I mean, I, I think even if he comes up, let's say in May, let's say he comes up May 5th, somewhere around there, he could still easily catch in 90 to 100 games. Like, there's a, there's a good chance of that. And then he plays first base for maybe 20, 30. I could see that happening for sure. Yeah, he's he's going to catch more often than not. He's going to yeah. catch most days. I don't know that he's going to do Salvador Perez type numbers where he's catching 145 games a year. No, I doubt that, it. That's insane. This, I doubt Yadier it. Molina used to do it. It's crazy, man. I remember when Matt Wieters went to the St. Louis Cardinals, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, that's a good opportunity because Yadier Molina's getting up there, so it gives him a little bit more of a breather, keeps the bat fresh, the legs fresh, and Wieters will get more playing time. Mm-hmm. Wieters played like twice the first two months. Yeah, he, he did. Yeah. Yadier yeah. catches literally every single day. Um, and he's made a Hall of Fame career out of it. But. Uh, I still think that they're going to go out and sign two major league catchers. I don't think Jacob Nottingham is a guy that they signed to have him be. He, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get some time at the big league level at some point because, look, the Orioles aren't yeah. going to be very good this year. Um, but I don't think that they brought him in to be their opening day starter. I still think that guy is is yet to be on this roster. Do you have any ideas who, of who that could be, or are we just kind of going well, off I, the fact that— I, I looked up uh, free agent catchers, and there were some that weren't that were already signed by other teams— and then this is basically the list of the people that you have that aren't signed. You have Robinson, Chirinos, Austin Romine, Wilson Ramos, Kurt Suzuki, and Stephen Vogt. And all, Yikes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of those, Stephen Vogt's got some power. Kurt Suzuki's been serviceable. He's a great catcher. Wilson Ramos used, it probably has the best bat of the bunch, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Although Robinson Chirinos was a solid catcher for a three-year span with the uh, 15 to yep. 18 home runs for three straight years with the Astros, which got him a decent contract. Mm-hmm. Austin Romine seems like a a pretty logical fit here. Yeah, a decent yeah. catch and throw guy. Um, not not a great bat, but uh, Pedro Severino. Like so, for those listening, Zach and I for Orioles banter today. We have um, we've created we've built our own rosters from the 2019, 2020, 2021 seasons in an effort to make to take the best players that we found from those rosters and make this a competitive team. What we would think, what we would feel as the most competitive team from those three rosters, which was a little bit more difficult to do than because uh, the pitching's not great for the last three years. But you go back to the catching options, and Pedro Severino is legitimately the only catching option that you have to pick. You're right. not, the, yeah. uh, otherwise, yeah. it's Austin wins, Brian Holiday, Chance Cisco, and none of those guys did anything to warrant being picked. So you're. Basically, the whole point of me saying that is what the Orioles have had in-house is not world beaters. So I don't no. expect them to go out and get a guy who's going to make you feel good about him. Right. Like when the Orioles announce, oh, we signed this catcher to a major league deal and this guy to a minor league deal with an invite to spring training, you're not going to be excited about it because they're a placeholder. Look, I, I think a Kurt Suzuki signing would be very perfect. I, I, think that, I would love that. but, but I, I, He might be out of their price range, number one. But number two, I mean, he could be an incredible... 
a mentor at Rutschman and a guy who could really play defense. And and the bat, you know, even even if his bat is terrible and he hits 205 and he, you know, does basically nothing, which is kind of what I would expect from a guy like Kurt Suzuki at this point in his career, I still think that mentorship to Rutschman could be really important. And I also think that Wilson Ramos would be a guy I'd love to have, but he's going to be out of their price range and also not the best defender there either. Um, Kurt Suzuki's 38 years old. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you have to... I would love, Kurt Suzuki was like at the top of my wish list because I think that he's probably he he seems like a good teammate. Yeah, he's been on really competitive ball clubs. He seems to come through with big hits and mm-hmm. big situations. I like the player. Uh, at 38 years old, I would like to think he's kind of like a Greg Zone at this point, where he'd be willing to take a, a a role where he's a starter to begin, and then he's more backup player. I feel like that's where he should he should probably be at this point in, yeah. in his career. You don't see many 38 year old catchers in the big leagues. You just don't. It's like him and Yachty. Right, so it's just what where what's his ego? What's his mindset? Sure, does, does he yeah. believe no, I can still catch ninety to one hundred and twenty games every year, or does he think okay, I'm thirty eight years old, I can still make one to two million dollars being a backup catcher uh, for a couple of years? It, it really just it it remains to be seen with how he feels about himself, I think that's what it really comes down to. But Kurt Suzuki would definitely be the guy that I would want them to go after. Agreed. Um. They did uh, the Orioles also this past week. They uh, look the major league uh, winter meetings were canceled. The Rule Five draft was postponed indefinitely, uh, and therefore the Orioles aren't going to do the one thing that they do every off season when with making moves, and that's draft a Rule Five guy. However, the Triple A phase still went off without a hitch, and the Orioles took a couple of pitchers. They took uh, pitchers Nolan Hoffman. Uh, and Cole Avila, and they acquired pitcher Tommy Wilson from the Mariners. Fun fact about Tommy Wilson: his father played Biff in mm-hmm. Back to the Back Future, to the Future yeah. which is which is pretty cool. Uh, pretty cool. So uh, Hoffman, two eighty eight ERA, a ten sixty seven WHIP, two home runs allowed in sixty seven games in his minor league career, with eighty five strikeouts and eighty four and a third innings pitched. Never pitched above high A. Uh, he's got a high ground ball rate, not a, not a ton of walks either, uh, and more than a strikeout per inning. This is a guy who you would imagine will probably start out at Double A this year. Um, I don't know that he's in the Orioles' plans this season, but maybe later on in the year if he yeah. pitches really well, maybe next, maybe twenty twenty three. Uh, we'll see about that. Uh, Uvila ninety six minor league relief appearances. He got his highest Triple A with a three eighteen ERA, a twelve twenty seven WHIP. So that's a little higher than I'd like to see for a reliever. Sure, yeah. Uh, with two hundred and three strikeouts though, and one hundred and fifty innings pitched. He his spin rate apparently on his curveball is one of the highest in baseball, in extreme spin rate uh, on the curveball. So Orioles pitching coaches, you know uh, Chris Holt, maybe they can and the like, maybe they can get uh get more out of that curveball out of him and see if he can't help the big league team. I look at these signings, uh, and, and then you have of course Tommy Wilson, ten and seven, three twenty eight ERA, a one oh nine WHIP in forty two games, twenty one of them starts. He appeared in just ten games this past year for Double A Binghamton, but he posted a two thirty five ERA with a nine seventy eight WHIP, yeah. which is really good, uh, with eighteen strikeouts and fifteen in the third innings pitch. To me, it looks like with these uh, with these pitching signings. Um, or these pitching draft picks and trades and whatnot, that the Orioles are really trying to address their bullpen, which was, I mean, the whole pitching staff last year was a huge, a huge problem for the team. But the bullpen, even if the starters gave them a, a, a good game, 
the bullpen a lot of times would come in and blow it. Right. So for those who don't understand the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft, these are not the same rules that apply with the major league draft. They don't have to keep the man on, on, on some kind of roster for a certain period of time before they give him back. There's none of that. You just get the guy. Nolan Hoffman, Cole Avila, they're Orioles forever now. Those are, you know, that's their... Forever. They're, well, for, maybe, <laughs> obviously not forever, but for the, for the time being, those guys are Orioles, and the Orioles get to do whatever they want with them and figure out how to make these or shape these guys into major league relievers. I think Avila is definitely a guy we're going to see in the majors this year. I also think that Tommy Wilson could get a shot in the majors. Um, Wilson's a guy who, he, he actually tweeted, he, he was, you know, came from the Mets, he was drafted by the Mariners in the Rule 5 and then traded to the Orioles like an hour later. He was like, wow, Mariners, I really uh, enjoyed my hour with you. So, you know, he's he's like a big in NFTs. He's a comedian. He's kind of an interesting guy. Like you said, um, he's got some – he was the one with the family relations, correct? He's the one with the father who played Biff. Is that right? Tommy Wilson? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, um, you know, it, some interesting players here, and I think that – the Orioles really, like you said, they're they're targeting pitching. They want to add to that because if you look at the pitching outside of guys like Grayson Rodriguez, Dio Hall, there just isn't that much depth. And if you can add a guy, you know, who put up a you know ten sixty seven whip, that's a great opportunity to have. And I, again, you just get to keep him. Why I not? don't I don't know if they view him as a starter. Oh, I don't think they view either. Uh, be, uh, be, because I mean, when when you're talking I think, about these guys, I think guys, only Wilson, only Wilson. As yeah, a and and that's a maybe. Half of his yeah. games were starts. Half of his games were in relief. Maybe he's one of those guys that they view as a potential swingman or spot starter. But but which I don't they even, need a lot of. I don't even care. I yeah. I if you can get good relievers that might play a part on this team in two or three years, I think that's a really good opportunity to have. I I think that with having the the number one pick. The Orioles really had a, a multitude of options here. I'm sure they did extensive research and work into this, you know, to get guys that they they found with very you know solid profiles, analytical profiles. Um, there, there's a guy and I can't remember his last name at the moment, but his first name is Joe, and he covers the Seattle Mariners. You know what I'm talking about? I, I think, uh, you, I his, think his first name is Joe. Oh, well, Joe. <laughs> to narrow it down, the I, most I'm popular a, gonna, name in America. <laughs> I'm going to find him real quick, just so I can credit him for this. But he is a he's a Mariners beat writer essentially, and he Joe Doyle, Joe Doyle, that's his name. And he said, "I'm not surprised." I'm paraphrasing here. He said, "I'm not surprised the Orioles took." This guy from the Mariners, because he's a guy who is, you know, has incredible uh, analytical numbers, and the Orioles are a team that's really doing well right now with uh, scouting these guys. That it's a big loss for the Mariners. Um, so I, I think that, you know, getting guys like that. And I'm talking about Nolan Hoffman, obviously. Getting guys like that is. Oh, is is great to see that you know that the national media is kind of recognizing that and saying, hey, the Orioles did a great job scouting this guy and picking this guy first overall. Yeah, no, it's. Look, I mean, this probably doesn't isn't even a blip on the radar. Uh, you don't really ever talk about the minor league pick uh, yeah. the minor league pickups uh, in the in the AAA phase of the Rule Five Draft because you're talking about the Rule Five Draft, the winter meetings, baseball is going on business as usual. Yeah. But because it's not happening, this is what we're talking about right now. And and look, I don't expect much out of these guys, but if the Orioles can crack some kind of code with this guy and he has these these great the analytics look really good, but right. maybe the numbers aren't there. And the numbers really they are there. They're, they're there for sure. The numbers are there yeah. the match he just has to do it at a higher level. Right. And right. they're gonna give him every opportunity. The Orioles it's so funny, man, because when, when Mike Elias came here he said that his motto was having a player spend a full year at each level. Mm-hmm. 
and you fast forward to 2021, and yeah. they, they, you have guys who are playing three different levels in the same year. I, I was going to say, we look at Westberg, Henderson. These guys move very quickly. Yeah, and so, and that's you know credit to the player for moving very quickly. Now, it, it, Nolan Hoffman could be one of those guys where maybe he pitches at double-A, mm-hmm. and he pitches so well that they have no choice but to move him up to triple-A, and then maybe you see him sooner rather than later yeah. uh, at the major league level. But it's a it's... Good depth pieces at the very least, and at the best, maybe you have some quality big league arms here. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, now, with the... There's some other things that are happening happening right now. Later on in the show, we're going to have Justin Toscano. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a moment. Uh, we're going to have we're going to have uh, Justin Toscano. Uh, he's a Mets beat writer for the record in uh, up in New Jersey, and he's going to be on the show later today. And one of the things we're going to talk about is Buck Showalter. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Buck Showalter is the odds-on favorite. Uh, we talked about this a little bit with Stan last week, but now it apparently he had a super impressive interview. Super impressive interview with the Mets, and it's looking like he could probably, possibly, be their guy. Yeah. Which kind of strikes me as a little odd. I think he's a great. Oh. I, I think he's a yeah. great manager. <laughs> I think he's a great manager. I think he he has the ears of all of his of all of his players. Mm-hmm. However, one of the big knocks against him in Baltimore. Was that he didn't embrace analytics. Not at all. Now, I don't know what Buck's been doing in his spare time. I, for all I know, that when he's not on MLB Network, when he's not having a meal with his wife, he's sitting in his office at home looking at all the analytics, studying it up, learning all the terminology, learning how to figure all this stuff out, learning what the best spin rate means and uh, this, that, and Look, I'm not, a, I'm not an analytics guy myself. I'm not, I'm, I'm not big on it. You're more, you're more into that stuff than I am. I just... I can't imagine that his approach has changed that much that he'd have to do a 180. Right. I mean, you look at a guy like Kevin Cash, who uses analytics big extensively. Uh, extensively. Um, and the whole Rays organization, really. It's not. It starts from the top, goes all the way down through the bottom to Kevin Cash. And you look at the, at that kind of manager, um, even Brandon Hyde, for example, who uses analytics quite often to pool relievers when he thinks that they should be pooled, uh, or when analytics thinks that they should be pooled. Analytics makes a lot of decisions for a lot of guys now, and a lot of the decisions that are made in game are coming from the front office now, from these you know computerized models that are showing the Orioles, hey, you know, you might want to take this guy out right now because if you leave him in, um, you know, this guy who's coming up next has this number against this pitcher, which it doesn't really look favorable. There's a pitcher in your bullpen that could do a better job. You you know, analytics looks at these things and, and all these different models that these teams have um, and really calculates decisions that are really, frankly, better than what a human could make. And Buck Showalter has not embraced that at all. He might know a lot about analytics. I'm sure he knows quite a bit. It's just actually the question, will he use it in games? And I think an old school manager like Buck Showalter for the Mets at this point isn't really a good fit. I just don't see that working long term where... A guy that old school and that far behind on everything new is going to come in and, and really make that big of a difference for well, them. You look at Tony La Russa mm-hmm. with the White Sox. He was a finalist for man, for AL Manager of the Year. And they, they, they won their division and they yeah. won the playoffs. Uh, I just look, don't feel he really improved them for the previous they, year. They, no, they, they brought him in. They got rid of Rick Renteria right. because they wanted to take that next step. And they didn't take that next step. They didn't get out of the first round of the playoffs. Yep. So you look at... You look at that and you say, well, there's no way that 75 years old, Tony La Russa's embracing analytics mm-hmm. because it wasn't a thing back when he managed. And now you look at Buck Showalter and Buck's in his, I think he's in his 60s now. Yeah, so um, yeah, somewhere around there. With, with Buck, 
you don't know. You don't know, right? Maybe he did. Oh, by the way, we're getting Stan at 10:25. Um, you don't know. Maybe Buck has embraced it and he's taken. And, and and look, if he's gonna go interview with the Mets and he's gonna be their manager, there's no way that they didn't ask him about it in the interview. I'm sure he boned up on it. The guy wants to manage again. Sure, right? He was on a local radio show uh, last week, and they were talking about um, the Mets, and he was like, "Well, Oakland has an opening too, don't they?" And the guy and the host was like, "Oh yeah, I didn't even think about Oakland." The host yeah. didn't even realize that Bob Melvin <laughs> had, yeah. had had left the the Athletics. But the point of that is, he wants to manage again, mm-hmm. and he he has to know that if he wants to manage, he's got to embrace the analytics. That's yeah. that's the way the game is today. And look, the talent that they have on that roster now. That outfield is dangerous. It is, you know, and, and the whole team, frankly. Yeah, the whole t- and, and that that one-two punch. And I still think they're going to go out and get and get more pitching. But they have, they have Degrom, Scherzer, Taiwan Walker, Hector Carrasco. Um, yeah. Is it Carlos? Car- no, Carlos, Car- Carlos yeah. Carrasco. There is a Hector Carrasco, but I can't remember who he plays for. But Carlos Carrasco. Um, I do think they're going to go out and get an, another starting pitcher. But that that roster. It's built to win now. It's unbelievably stacked. It's the, so the, good. The the thing about about Buck is Buck is really good at getting teams into the po- into the postseason. Yes, but he's yes. not great at winning. Yeah, correct. In the postseason, correct. Yeah, um, as we know here in Baltimore, and I don't. And a lot of that is the Yankees fired him a year before they went to the World Series. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and he 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 brought them out of despair. Yep. In the in the early to mid 90s and they fired him the year before they went to the World Series. And I mean they had a 2-0 lead on the Mariners in mm-hmm. the, in in that uh ALDS in in 1995. And then they fired him uh then Joe Torre comes on they go and they win, you know, 5-6 World Series in the next 20 years, right? Then you look at um you look at him going to Texas. Well, he goes to Arizona, and he builds that ball club from scratch. Mm-hmm. And in their like third year, they win 100 games, mm-hmm. right? They fire him. Then he goes to Texas, and he takes Texas, who was just, just treading water mm-hmm. in complete mediocrity. And he gets them from doing that to being in back-to-back World Series. And the playoffs, I think, three or four years in a row. And then they fire him. Mm-hmm. And then he goes to the Orioles. He helps... B- the Orioles were, oh my God, they were, I, I can't even explain to you how bad they were for how long they were yep. bad. And he comes in, and, and look, they, they, they signed the right guys, and it's not like the, the teams he was on didn't have, that he managed didn't have talent. But he comes to the Orioles, and he gets them back to the postseason for the first time in 15 years. 2018 was a debacle. I don't know how much of it was his fault. I think it was more so the front office um, not doing their due diligence to try and keep Manny Machado, signing the wrong, oh my gosh, signing Baldo Jimenez and J.J. Hardy and Chris Davis. Chris Davis at the time, he needed to sign him. but <laughs> Don't remind us. <laughs> yeah, but but the, the, the front office was more the reason the 2018 was so bad. It, I agree. It, it, and what sucked about that is 2018 was so bad that Buck Showalter, even though he, the Orioles had the best record in the American League for four straight se- uh, for, uh, over a four-year span, he ended up with a losing record yeah. in Baltimore because yeah. they lost 115 games in in 2018. I don't blame Buck for that season at all. Like, what was he supposed to do? Uh, so this is a guy where maybe it's not so much that he can't get them to the big to the big game; it's the fact he isn't given enough opportunity to. Well, you said the front office. I even would 
dependent on ownership. I think ownership was the number one well, yeah, reason that, yeah. that Buck Showalter wasn't really allowed to have success because Dan Duquette's, we know how tied his hands were. He was not allowed to do what Dan Duquette wanted to do. And that, again, that affects Buck Showalter directly. And that's something that he just unfortunately had to deal with. And he had a lot of success in that situation. That's a very tough situation to be mm-hmm. in. When you're a manager and you come out there on opening day and you look at the roster and you go, this isn't very good. You know, what am I how am I going to get through with only this many good bullpen guys or only this many guys on the bench that I can use? Sure we have Manny Machado, but who do we have on our bench that can come in and fill in for him if he gets hurt or Three whatever? So Rule 5 picks that they kept right. on the roster to start that year. Right. <laughs> and, and, and we were blinded by the fact oh they went out they got cash and they re-signed yeah. Tillman, they got Alex Cobb. Tillman. Man- oh, that was uh, such a horrible man- move. Man- um Manny's back, Jones is back, Davis yeah. maybe he'll he'll have a bounce back year. Right. Like we should have seen it coming. the the yeah. the three rule five picks alone, we should have seen that. I mean, that's coming. just that's inexcusable, really. And I, I have nothing against Buck Showalter at this point. I really don't. Um, I, I by the way, he's sixty five years old, so he's still really not even that old at this point, really, to be a man. He could perfectly, you know, come back and manage. But I do remember people talking about this on Twitter, and it was like a trending topic at one point last summer. He was on Yes Network, uh, you know, commentating some Yankees games because that's mm-hmm. what he he did on the side for a little bit. And some people were saying how bad he was trashing analytics during the games. He was talking about, you know, oh, I don't really like these numbers. I just go with the eye test, that kind of stuff. So that, to me... He was just, doing it in the playoffs. Right, in the playoffs, too. And that, to me, kind of tells you what he really thinks. Even if he went in there to the Mets interview and he said, oh, yeah, I'm totally ready to embrace this. Will he actually during games during the season? I'm not sure. Yeah, and look, I, I, I get the analytics is the way the baseball is gone. I mm-hmm. totally understand that. Maybe I don't understand all the analytics. I do think that there's something for just being a good baseball player that sometimes... Oh, sure, l- l- yeah. like, like, you can't tell me... Who was it that, that we were talking about? Scott Rowland. Mm, yeah. uh, Scott Rowland was a better ball player than Eddie Murray. You can't tell me that Scott Rowland was a better ball yeah, player than, I would than, disagree than, with that. Than, than Eddie Murray. But he had a higher war yeah. because Eddie Murray played first base. Right, and you can't accrue that much war at first base. It's right. true. It, so, so that right there, that doesn't tell me very much about the player. If you put Scott Rowland here and you put Eddie Murray here and you said pick one, I'm taking Eddie Murray. I would right? agree. Yeah. So, so war tells a good story. It doesn't tell the whole story, right? And yeah. it's it's po- it's the most popular, the most famous analytic out of, out of all of them. Sure, you know, or sabermetric. Um, but for me, I do agree with Buck, and I'm very John Smoltz in this. Where if you're a good ball player, you're a good ball player, and mm-hmm. if you put in the right in the right situation on the right team with the right manager, you're going to have success. And I think Buck Showalter's proved that. So I think that he can go out there. Look, the the analytics of baseball have changed, but the game of baseball itself. Nine innings, three outs per inning, 27 outs in a game. Mm-hmm. you got to score more than the other team to win the game. That has not changed, and it never will change. Yes. And I think that if you have the pedigree and the resume that you've had success doing that, maybe the analytics aren't as big a deal for somebody who has that much talent and is a Buck Showalter. I know we got to call Stan, but I have one more thing on this. I think what would be interesting what the Mets could do is to hire another guy who could maybe be, you know, not in that manager position, but say they hire Buck as their top manager. He's the guy. But maybe a high-level bench coach or someone that Buck can, you know, kind of be his right-hand man, a younger guy who understands analytics really well, um, and a guy that Buck can go to anytime he wants and say, hey, should I use analytics in this situation? Almost like a co-manager situation, 
situation, but they're Buck, ne- Buck they're, still they're, has they're Buck still has the top role. That. That, that's I don't know. Honestly, no team in baseball would ever do. I that. think I think I I, because, I agree. Because you're Maybe cutting, you're cutting off your nose to spite your face. I think it's possible that a team could do co-managers, just not with Buck Showalter involved. But my point is, Buck would still have the top position here. There would just be another guy who would have that lower position to say, "Hey, Buck, we might want to use analytics at this time." At this point, look, look, maybe a, a consigliere. Okay, but look, you have a lot of good good ideas, Zach. That's not really one of them. It's that, that's just something that's never going to happen in baseball. That you're never going to have a manager who's going to take a job where he's not the guy. If he has somebody who even potentially be thought of as part of the guy, he's not going to take that job. Not and and that's that's not to to undercut you or anything like that. I just realistically speaking. I get what you're saying. I understand where you're coming from, but realistically speaking, no, I, it's just something that's never going to happen. I don't even disagree with you. I didn't. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm saying that's what I would personally do if I was making the decisions. Yeah. But maybe that's why I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's exactly... Yet, at least. Think, Yet I, at least. I think that's one of many reasons why you're not. But but you know what? The, well, the, the game of baseball... Uh, dude, you're, you're 20. You know? I, that's, that's the main reason. <laughs> yeah. that, that's, um, a, that's a pretty good reason. Um, I, look, baseball has changed so much. The game itself hasn't changed, but the way we view baseball, the way we view players, mm-hmm. uh, the way people view how things are run, Very has different. changed drastically. Yeah. There's no, there's no saying that 20 years from now, 15 years from now, um, that somebody with your train of thought won't be running teams, and maybe, mm-hmm. maybe uh, God willing, that happens for you, and maybe you can implement it then. I, right now, the, as the game stands today, there's no way that a manager would have somebody who's a co-manager. Like, like in, in football, they have assistant head coaches, but they know right. you're the manager. It, it, I mean, the, or, Orioles, the, the Orioles just did do, a, you know, co-pitching coaches. So yeah, but something like that model. That's not the head guy, though. No, it's not. It's not. Um, but anyway, let's move on here. We've got Stan the fan on the line. Stan. Thanks for joining the program. As always, how are you this morning? That's an interesting topic. Did did you guys know that the Chicago Cubs back in the late fifties had about eight coaches that were rotating managers? I did not know that. Yeah, that's crazy. Read up on it. Google it. That's that's crazy. I think that something like that would never work in today's game. I think that they paid the managers. It didn't work very well for the Cubs. Uh, They were pretty desperate there. Yeah, it's just I think that so many different guys have so many different opinions, and then there's the, the ego that comes along with it, and the paycheck that you're giving to the manager. He's got to be the guy, you know. Yeah. Um, Stan, I mean the, the assistant manager thing is, you know, I mean not not assistant manager, the bench coach is as close as you're going to get to that, yeah. you know, and and a good manager leans very heavily on his bench coach, you know. That bench coach is there to make sure he. He remembers, you know, that, uh, hey, you know, we used this guy yesterday. You know, you might not want to warn. You know, the manager's got a lot of things to think about, and that bench coach has got to be his alter ego, so to speak. Well, yeah, and, and I guess when, when Zach was saying a, a co-manager, I was thinking to myself, well, they already have a bench coach, right? Right. So maybe it's you, you hire a bench coach who's more analytically driven. And the reason that we're talking about this, Stan, is because Apparently, Buck Showalter had a really impressive interview with the Mets. Yeah. And I, I know we were talking about it last week about how he was an odds-on favorite. Then all these other names got mentioned who were solid candidates as well. And then Buck just blew him away uh, with with his interview. How important do you think the analytics are? And how much do you think Buck has boned up on them? Is this one of those things where he's still the same guy? Or do you think that he has to embrace it if he wants to manage again? Well, I think Buck is a little past the years where he's going to con them into believing, hey, I've done so much studying on this now that I'm, I think he would take the tact 
that he's willing to incorporate information that they supply him. You know, now Mike Matheny, um, and, and this guy would be a great guest for you to have one day. I'll try and remember his name. Mike Matheny and Mike McCarthy, the football coach, both took courses with this guy uh, out of Chicago, who was sort of a um, consultant with Dan Duquette. Um, you know, about five, six years ago, I rode up the elevator with him once, and I had him on the bat around once uh, a couple of years ago. Um, but Mike Matheny dug, really dug into it when he was out of managing and really tried to learn it. I think Showalter would do himself a disservice to try and really con them into thinking, hey, I really embrace analytics now. I never did before. He's probably going to take a tack that, uh, look, I wasn't brought up in that era, but whenever it's been, uh, you know, explained to me or put in front of me, I like to use analytical information. And he'll probably um, refer to the couple guys that he had with the Orioles that were the sort of the analytics people. One of them being Matt Matt Klintak, who eventually got the uh, Angels' assistant general managership and then was the Phillies' general manager under Andy McPhail. Yeah, I, I think that it, it's he has to at least have acknowledged the fact that he needs to embrace analytics in 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 this interview. Now, yeah. I think more so because of what's of what Buck's been able to do with franchises in the past, turning franchises around. You look at the Yankees, the Diamondbacks, the Rangers, and then the Orioles. Every pro- every team he's gone to has been a reclamation product, and he's succeeded with flying colors, except for the fact that he didn't win a World Series. Now, the closest I think that he was to it, 95 with the Yankees, um, and probably 2014 with the Orioles. Uh, the knock on Buck is that he can't get them to the big game, can't win, can't win in the playoffs. Do you think that that's necessarily his fault, or do you think that he was brought in to build these ball clubs up and then let go, and then the other, the other, um, the other, the newer, the newer managers got to I reap think, the rewards? Well, I mean, in the case of Baltimore, clearly uh, the team just simply fell apart. Yeah. It was a kind of a perfect storm that really wasn't, really wasn't a directly a Bucks doing. Um, but I think I think Billy Epler. And the owner, Steve Cohn, would do well to really explain to him that this is going to be a partnership uh, and how will you handle that partnership uh, with with the baseball people running the baseball side. And yes, we want your input, but they're going to run that side. I think that that's one thing that he will be challenged on in the direct interview, you know, when it whittles down to the last three, I think they're going to bring in. But I, I think at this point in time, he'd have to be the overwhelming favorite right now for me to get the team. And and it would be, without question, the best team that he's ever inherited. Oh, I, absolutely. And I, I, yeah. I look at the talent. I mean, there's a, there's a tremendous amount of talent on that team. Absolutely. From Alonzo to Lindor to Scherzer to DeGrom, you know, Edgar Diaz, Edwin Diaz, the closer. Um, he's got he's got a lot of talent on that yeah, baseball and team. Now they got Marcana. They got they got yeah they got Kana and uh, Marte. Sterling Marte. Yeah, I mean that's a team, and, and I love the catcher too, McCann. Yeah, uh, I think they're a team really. If if they hire the right guy, you know, 
And what happens is if you hire the wrong guy that doesn't really get how to how to build that thing internally, the culture, that's where Buck excels at is the culture. And you had, you know, to me, the Padres spent all that money. Now they've done it the right way, bringing in a guy like Bob Melvin. Yeah. But to turn that turn the keys of that team over to Jace Tingler, uh, that's really kind of idiotic in my opinion. Stan, it's something I've been wondering when you look at the Mets because you see a lot of players going there. You see Marte, you see Canna, Max Scherzer, obviously, and Buck Showalter, even if he you know, gets the manager job. We don't know if that's going to happen, but it's looking like it might. Why are people, or why are players, why are coaches, why are managers, why are they interested in coming to an organization that can't seem to function properly without people, you know, getting arrested or DUIs or whatever it is? And Paul's, Paul's, you know, saying money, but obviously that could be a big part of it. But it, it, would you yourself want to go to an organization that's that really dysfunctional? Um, in terms of what, as a player, as anything really, well, player, manager. Yeah, uh, I would. I, I think it's inherent in players to always think that they can help uh, players and 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 an e- a manager that has a, a pretty strong ego and Buck ha- Buck has one and I think you have to have one yeah. to be successful. Uh, I think they always feel first of all in the case of a manager's job, there's only thirty of them, thirty of those jobs, you know. So you're going to pretty much be interested in any job except the situation like a Joe Girardi when the Orioles came calling. He wasn't as sort of, not desperate's not the right word, but anxious to get another opportunity where he turned that job down a year and a half before. It wasn't that much better a team that Buck Showalter took over, but Buck believed that he could could, uh, change that culture, you know. Well, and then you also have to look at the fact that the culture is what it is, and people there's a stigma around the Mets now. But there's this is brand new ownership. He he's been the owner. Yeah, the for, stigma for around season. the Mets has to do with the Wilpons and their lack of a real major commitment to winning. You know, they became very complacent in that marketplace, and some of it had to do with uh, Bernie Madoff and how much money they may have lost from Madoff. That for about a five, five, six, seven year period, they really, they probably should have had that team taken away from them uh, if they weren't as friendly with Bud Selig. I, I, you know, they I, really did not have the, they did not have the capital for a major market like New York to really be operating that team. I agree with the notion that Steve Cohen can change things for them, but I also question that when he goes on Twitter and he starts complaining about player agents that he's dealing with. And that, you know, that he starts complaining how fans always want these players. And he just goes on Twitter and says a lot of stuff that I don't think he necessarily should be saying. And yeah. then I wonder, I'm like, well, is that really the best fit overall? I don't know. I don't know. Well, well again, Buck's not going to have many, many opportunities, okay? Uh, despite the success of La- the supposed success of La Russa, the su- success of Dusty Baker, this is a young man's game. Uh, and this is a unique opportunity Buck's getting. Uh, and there aren't a lot of managers that ever get a fifth team, you know. Yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. right. And so he's, you know, he, I mean, it's interesting. Do I think he would take the Oakland job if it were offered to him? Maybe not because of all that looks like it's about to happen over the next three to five years with See, that I- franchise. 
But the Mets, he's got to believe that this is a team that he can immediately impact. And I think he can. This is a team that that, that can win now. And to to Zach's point with uh, Cohen and, and the tweeting and all that, winning cures all. So if Buck goes out there and he has his team in first place at, at, by the All-Star break, you're not really going to hear a word out of Cohen because winning cures all. And I think that that's why they're bringing Buck in because I think Buck knows how to win, at least in the regular season. And maybe he's finally given the opportunity to stick around for a team to get them to a World Series. Um, the, only, the only thing that I think could keep him from getting this job, and I, I believe that Cohen is big picture enough and, and desirous of really making his mark as an owner that cares and is willing to spend and do the right things, would be that he's being told by the media and everybody that you got to hire Buck Walter. And that's the only thing that could boomerang back on Buck is this notion that he's being told that you'd be an idiot not to do this, you know. Um, and I think he's smart enough not to give in to that sort of wanting to be different, wanting to prove that he's smarter than everybody because there's no question he's by far the best candidate for this job. All right, and for sure, if Buck does get this job, I'll be I'll become maybe not a, a diehard Mets fan, but I'll be. Well, I think I'll there'll be, be a lot of people in Baltimore that will go along with you. You know, they're a National League team that'll say, "Hey, this will be my National League team." I'll root for them. Yeah, and Mets fans hate 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 the Yankees, so we kind of would fit right in. There. Right, exactly. We've got that together. So, yeah. so Stan, uh, the Orioles did make some moves, but before we get into that, I want to talk about the Hall of Fame bout because there's a, there's potential that the Hall of Fame could have no um, electees for the second straight season. Ton of steroid era guys. If you had a vote, would you vote for guys like Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Alex Rodriguez, uh, David Ort- or, and David Ortiz? These guys, at, when they played, kind of transcended the game, but they are all tainted. Uh, this is Bonds and Clemens, I believe, last opportunity to get into the Hall of Fame. Do you vote for these guys if you got a ballot? The only one of the four you mentioned I'd vote for is probably Ortiz because I don't I don't believe he was really impacted that much by uh, his one dalliance with uh, you know uh, performance enhancing drugs. The other guys did it too long and and changed uh, sort of the narrative of what a Hall of Famer should be. And uh, I just I I'd, I'd be uncomfortable voting for them. I'll tell you the player that I'm really excited for, and a lot of people are excited for Gil Hodges and Buck O'Neill, the guy that I'm very deserving and has been for, in my opinion, for 30, 30, 40 years is Tony Oliva. I'm really excited that he's going into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's a shame when it takes so long to get people who are obviously deserving into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Because Zach and I, we talked about this a little bit last last week with Rich Dubroff. Sometimes it seems like they're turning the Hall of Fame into the Hall of Very Good. And when I when I say that, I want to bring up Scott Rowland. Now, I've, I'm kind of being swayed into thinking that he is a Hall of Famer. But when I think of the greatest in the game, I don't think of Scott Rowland. But he had a higher war than a guy like Eddie Murray. Um, now, he played a, a more difficult position, and he was very good at it. In your opinion, is Scott Rowland a Hall of Famer? I don't see Rowland as a Hall of Famer. Um... But I'm I'm open to being convinced of it, uh, but he doesn't ring true as a Hall of Famer to me. The 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 biggest injustice now that Oliva's in, the biggest injustice in the current players 
is go, go ahead one day, I'm not asking you to do it now, and look up Billy Wagner. Billy Wagner is the second greatest closer in the history of the game. I uh, I, I agree with you, Stan. I wouldn't say he's the second greatest, but I would say he should definitely be in the Hall of Fame. Second greatest might be a pinch. He's the only other reliever that I found with a whip lower than Mariano Rivera's over his career. I think he also had a lower ERA by just a little bit. And his yeah. strikeouts, his strikeouts per per innings pitch are off the chart. It's crazy yeah. that he doesn't get much, much. And the other player I would put in before Scott Rowland is Jeff Kent. I mean, I think Jeff Kent has yeah. eight or eight out of nine years he drove in over a hundred runs. I found it hard to find anybody else. Yeah, Jeff Jeff Kent. When you look at second baseman in the history of Major League Baseball, he's up there towards the top. He's one. Of, he's yeah. one of the best second basemen of all time. Yeah. I, I I didn't put him on my ballot because I I don't look. I didn't. I, I finally filled out a ballot. We did this last week uh, as our Orioles banter segment, and I put we both filled out a ballot. And he wasn't on my ballot because I don't consider him a first ballot Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. However, I do think he's a Hall of Fame player. Now there are people that will argue, well, if you're a Hall of Fame player, why is it then? Why aren't you a first ballot? Why does it matter if you're a Hall right. of Fame? You're a Hall of Fame. Right. But sometimes you just have guys who are who are better that are on the same ballot. As like you. a Mariano Rivera is that's kind of a first ballot kind of guy, not maybe a Jeff Kent. Right. Right. Yeah. Now. Yeah, I'm not saying he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I think uh, uh, I think Wagner should have been. But again, I didn't. When you say that, I don't know the year he was up for it. Maybe there were five or six, five or six guys that deserved it more than him. He's still on but the ballot. In a year, the but ballot. in a year that we're talking about maybe nobody getting voted in or something like that, it's hard to believe that a Kent and a Wagner shouldn't make it. You know? I, I think the, 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 one of the most interesting cases, though, is uh, a guy who cuts across the political divide is Kurt Schilling. You know? I, I'd have a hard time really separating myself from his politics didn't, uh, didn't and voting for him, but... Didn't Kurt Schilling also say he didn't want to be in the Hall of Fame? Am I correct right. in saying he, that? He said yeah. it, but that's not his, that's not his, not choice, his position yeah. to impact the vote. You know, so, so he's I, just pissed off that he hasn't gotten in. Right, so. right. I, I think the biggest thing that goes against Billy Wagner, he personally was on my ballot last week. I think the biggest thing that goes against him is 27 war. Um, you look at even a guy like Mariano Rivera, who and closers, it's obviously a hard, it's harder to rack up war because you don't pitch as many innings. You yeah. don't you don't do the kind of same things that other pitchers do. But Mariano had 56.3, which is a very very respectable number for a for a relief pitcher. And what was Wagner? And Wagner's was only 27. And I think that's the biggest thing that might go against him when a lot of yeah. people are voting. But then again, there are a lot of people that are voting that may not be into analytics as much as and looking at more traditional stats like you mentioned, WHIP and ERA, which Billy Wagner is. You know, almost at the top at in his category. Yeah. So I, I personally, I, I would put him in, but I think it's. I it's look at the batting person. average against. I look at the strikeouts yeah. per innings pitched, the, the hits per inning. He was just phenomenal. And I, I'll tell you, fair or not, though, I think what a lot of people look at his entire career, he never once led the league in saves. Yeah, and it's true. And that was that was in the National League. And, and look, he there were some teams that he was on that weren't very good. Right, and, yeah, that and, that can be part and parcel of who you pitch for. Yeah, yeah. And, and I and I get that, and like I said, it, it's like judging a guy by wins or losses. Like you could have mm-hmm. a guy who has a like Felix Hernandez was obviously the best pitcher in the game back in '06, but he had yeah. he but he only had 13 wins, but he was clear the clear cut Cy Young Award winner. So it's not really a fair stat, but I think a lot of people will look at it and say he never led the league in saves. How why would we put him in? Yeah. Um, now. 
<coughs> that's somebody, that's a voter that's looking, not looking to put somebody in. He's looking to keep somebody out. Yeah. You know. Yeah, no, I... I get it. I, I I didn't put Billy Wagner on on just like just like Scott Rowland. I think that they probably eventually will get in. Uh, I don't know how much more time Wagner has left. I know he's on the ballot this year, but I don't know how much time he has left. But I think they probably will get in. Uh, it's just a matter of when, not because yeah. it's obviously not on the first ballot. Now, Stan, moving on to the Orioles side of things, they did do make some moves uh, this past week. Even yeah, they though, did not pick up any Hall of Famers. They, they certainly didn't pick up any Hall of Famers. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Yeah. Um, they finally signed a catcher, uh, Jacob mm-hmm. Nottingham. They signed him to a minor league deal. He was number 66 overall prospect in 2016. Uh, Zach and I were talking about this a little bit ago. Not great um, major league number. He was he was not good at all in his cups of coffee at the at the major league level. Had some success at the minor league level. Not very not recently though. Is this more of a depth piece than anything else? Like, do you you still expect him to go out and sign a couple more catchers, right? Yeah, I expect him to sign a couple more. Yeah. I'm not sure who those who those people will be. How much they'll put toward it. I've I've been big proponent. I love Stephen Vogt. You mm-hmm. know, uh, for for what what he can bring to the table. Uh, he's a little banged up at this point in his career, but he's a left-handed hitting catcher. Um, Good defensively, you know, solid defensive catcher, not great, uh, but but really has some intrinsic values that I like. I think he's a really uh, kind of a leader in that clubhouse. Uh, I'd love to see them end up with him, but they could end up, who knows, you know, those guys, there's a bunch of them out there. Uh, who knows how much they cost right now. But, you know, Wilson Ramos is an interesting name. Uh, but, you know, I don't expect them to put, that's why a guy like Stephen Vogt makes perfect sense to me. You you put him in Nottingham maybe to start the year. Uh, you know if they play the manipulation game with uh, Rutschman, if the if the new bargain basic agreement includes the ability to do that, which I don't think it will. So I think Rutschman will probably start the season. So I wouldn't want to put a, a great deal of assets or into that. You know. Yeah, I, I don't expect him to spend a ton of money. The guy I've been looking at, and I mentioned this to you, I think, during the season, and you weren't really for it. It's Kurt Suzuki. I think that Kurt. No, I actually, I, you know, I, we may have had that conversation. He'd be probably uh, there's something about vote that I like, but Suzuki, I like a lot. I, I really do. Well, I think that, I really that you said that you liked him, but you said you didn't think it was realistic because he would still probably be able to get a starting job somewhere, if I remember correctly. Right. Well, that, that's a couple of years down the road now since then. Uh, you know, and he was making, I think, like $5, 6000000 million a couple of years ago. He's probably much more going to take whatever he can get this year. So maybe at a million, million and a half. Stephen Vogt might be like under a million dollars yeah, if he wants to play. It, it seems like there's a number of options out there. You saw the notes. Chirinos, Austin Romine, Ramos, Suzuki, right. Vogt, um, who the Orioles could get probably for right around a million, a million five, I, w- yep. I would have to imagine. And, uh, and it's somebody who you look at – when I think of Kurt Suzuki, I think of Greg Zahn, somebody who is a solid catcher who's uh, – to, on the tail end of their career, I mean, he's 38 years old. You don't see 38-year-old catchers in the game anymore. Um, right. A guy who would come in and he, he could catch maybe 30, 40 games uh, and have a nice backup role, and I think that he could still make a, a decent living while doing that. Yeah, and and mentor, uh, and not that we think that Rutschman needs a lot of mentorship, but, you know, it's not going to hurt him 
to have an older, wiser head, you know, uh, although he's a savant. But, it, you know, having a Suzuki or a vote, somebody who's been there before, can help him. There's no question about it. So, and, and I think Watchman would welcome that rather than be egotistical about it. Like, I don't need oh, an older yeah. guy, you know, just team me with another, you know. So, so a few weeks ago, John Heyman reported that the Orioles were interested in Roberto Perez, who ended up going to sign with the, the Pirates for $5 million. Right. Um, but Perez is a guy who won a gold glove in 2019, 2020. So if the Orioles were interested in him, it makes me think maybe they were willing to go to that $5 million level. He just wasn't interested in the Orioles who wanted the Pirates because maybe they're a little nah, farther. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think that. I think, I think that's I think what he, Suzuki might call First of all, if he, if he were... If he had the choice of the two, his path to being the everyday catcher is there in Pittsburgh. It's not in Baltimore. Well, yeah, that's you know, why. I mean, yeah, that's what I'm I mean, saying. He maybe. knows he knows the where his bread would be buttered in Baltimore. That he'd be purely a backup. No, that that was my point though. I'm saying yeah. that I think he probably signed in Pittsburgh. Even if the say the Orioles offered him five million, which we don't really know what they offered him. But I don't say, think they were. To, I don't think they would go into that territory. Maybe not, but I think that's what no. Kurt Suzuki might cost. And that was no, my point. No, Kurt Suzuki yeah. only Kurt, made Kurt $1.5 Suzuki, million last year. Okay. Kurt Suzuki okay. would be a million, million and a half dollars. That now. would be a lot better for sure. Yeah, he, he yeah. made one and a half million last year. I, I, and I yeah. think that he probably would make less than that at this point. I think, yeah. I think he's a million dollar guy, and I think that that's a guy that the Orioles could look hard at. Yeah. Especially because he's been on winning teams. He's been he, he's always seemed to come up with a big hit in a big situation. He's a solid catch and throw guy. I think that's a guy that the Orioles would really take a long look at uh, this offseason season. Uh, Stan, before we let you go, they also did sign, uh, pick up a couple of pitchers in the uh, uh, the AAA phase of the Rule 5 draft. They took Nolan Hoffman and Cole Avila, uh, and then they acquired Tommy Wilson from the Mariners. Um, these guys all look like they're kind of relief piece, re- reliever pieces for the Orioles. Um, do you see this as a move that because the Orioles know that their bullpen needs to be better? Um, I'm not quite sure what I see them as. I see them as pitchers that you know, that Mike and his team, maybe they were familiar with them when they were, when they were drafted, you know, that, uh, you know, the, the most intriguing of the three to me is Wilson, who was a Mets prospect, uh, originally, even though we got him through, I think the, I think the Mariners picked him from the Mets in, the, in this minor league rule five, and then worked out a deal with the Orioles to, to purchase him, um, uh, so that's something that was kind of intriguing to me. And his numbers were pretty interesting, but I don't know what happened in 2020 with him, uh, why he only pitched like about 15 innings last year. Was there an injury in 2020 that kept him out? You know, uh, there was no minor league baseball, but, uh, yeah. Uh, he seems like a guy, I think what you paint the picture with these guys at that age because each of them is at least 25 years old. I think one of them is 26. Is, is there guys that were really hurt badly by the uh, pandemic? You know, that uh, I think none of them pitched in 2020. So yeah, it was no. like a kind of a key season where they might have been on the come, and that, that come sort of got stopped, uh, you know, and, and now they're back. And trying to resurrect what's left of their careers. 
Yeah, and I, I think that Wilson and Avila could have a direct impact on the 2022 season. I think that uh, Avila especially, um, I think, would be a guy that you could see at the major league level sooner rather than later because he got his mm-hmm. highest AAA last year. With he has an extremely high spin rate on his curveball. Um, yeah, I don't know. I did not know that, but uh, the, you know, listen, there's a reason they didn't just pick names, you know, out of the hat and go, "Hey, let's let's get this guy Hoffman. Let's get that guy like his name." There's right. some connection to them or remembrance of them, and this this gives the club kind of a free look. Uh, I've never really understood what the rules and regulations of that are. They're not similar to the Rule Five in the you know the Major League Baseball Rule Five. Yeah, no, I think uh, you don't have to return them. I don't believe you don't. You don't. You just yeah. you pick them and you can do what you want to. Yeah, with them. Yeah. So, so they, they give them a little more depth, and uh, you know. But uh, again, the pickup right before the the uh, the, the lockout of uh, of Jordan Lyle was kind of surprising uh, that they would go to that level, and I, I would love it if they brought in one more, at least one more guy that had that type of upside yeah, I, at at that price point too. I would I would I would love it also, and I I can't wait for this lockout to be over so they can get with. It. I mean, we're only two months out from spring training; it's going to go by quickly. So they, I hope they get things in gear and you know get things figured out so that we can talk about more baseball and get baseball going here for the twenty twenty. I don't season. expect them to talk again really in any meaningful way until after the first season. Yeah, I, I would expect that to be the case. Stan, we're up against it. We got to run. Thank you so much All for right. joining us. Always a pleasure, guys. Yes, sir. Talk, talk next week. Bye. See you. That was Stan the Fan. Charles joining us for his weekly segment here on the Bat Around. Stan has two great shows for you every week. Every Monday night, Stan and former Orioles pitcher Ross Grimsley visit with a different guest from the world of baseball. And every Wednesday night, Stan and Gary Stein chat with a different newsmaker from the world of sports. This week, Stan actually did three shows. Uh, Stan and Ross caught up with former Orioles third baseman Doug DeSensei. Stan had a chat with uh, Maryland Lottery and gaming director John Martin about this week's launch of sports betting in the state. Plus, Stan and Gary had a conversation with Duke Deputy Athletic Director John Jackson about the final season of Hall of Famer Mike Krzyzewski. Find these shows under the videos tab at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or at pressboxonline.com slash video. Coming up, you do not want to miss it this Monday when Stan and Ross catch up with the legendary ESPN baseball reporter Tim Kirkchen, who this past week was voted in as a Hall of Famer by the Baseball Writers Association of America. Hour one is in the books here, and it is brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. The sport, uh, the wait is finally over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all the action from the best seat in the house. When we come back, Zach and I, Zach's going to sound off, and then we're going to give a little bit of an Orioles banter talking about our perfect imperfect roster from the last three seasons for the Baltimore Orioles. That and more on the Battle Round. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. 
Hey, it's KZ. The Press Box Fantasy Football Show is back, as always, on Thursdays. You can catch it at 1130. We're brought to you this year, CCBC and Glory Days Grill. You can catch the show two ways, facebook.com slash pressboxsports or pressboxonline.com slash radio. The slash radio is if you want to listen. On Facebook is if you actually want to see my ugly face. We're going to have a lot of fun this year. DFS, daily lineups, keepers, all kinds of fun stuff. Please tune in, Press Box Fantasy Football Show every Thursday, 11.30 a.m. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit MDGAMBLER. Need to hone your computer skills to boost your career? Or maybe you want an IT certification. CCBC Continuing Education has the courses and programs you need for a career in the computer field. And it's all tuition free. From the basics to specialized training, we have the classes you need from hardware to programming to cybersecurity and so much more. It's your choice. It's your career. Call 443-840-4700 or visit ccbcmd.edu slash computer training. Glory Days Grill's winter seasonal menu is back with comfort classics like their house-made meatloaf and short rib grilled cheese. It also features the center-cut sirloin with grilled shrimp, the char-grilled pork tenderloin, grilled meatloaf sandwich, smoky thigh wings with Alabama barbecue sauce, and a Brussels and bacon appetizer. All of these items pair well with Devil's Backbone 8-point IPA or their anniversary IPA brewed by Devil's Backbone. And try their seasonal cocktails, Blood Orange Burger, Bourbon Cider, Apple Ginger Mule, and Captain's Hot Cider. Find out more and get your order in today at glorydaysgrill.com. Great food, good sports. Hey guys, it's Paul Valley, and there's a new era of Glenn Clark Radio as I've joined Glenn every weekday from 10 a.m. to noon. There will be some changes, but what won't change is the absolute best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. New Baltimore Ravens wide receiver, Rashad Bateman. Thank you, I appreciate it. He is outfielder Cedric Mullins. Thank you guys for having me. Trey Mancini. Thanks for having me on, guys. He is Kevin Zeitler. Uh, thank you, very happy to be a part of this. Ravens kicker Justin Tucker. Thanks for having me. Adley Rutschman. Absolutely, thanks for having me on. John Angelos. Thanks a lot, good to be with you. Ryan Mann. Mount Castle. Thanks for having me on, guys. Marlon Humphrey. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Quarterback for the University of Maryland, Talia Tungavailoa. Thank you guys for having me. He is J.K. Dobbins. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. The great Ray Lewis. Always good to be on. Coach Mark Turgeon. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you. He is Mr. Cal Ripken Jr. Good chatting with you. You can watch us live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports or listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. And podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. There's a new era of Glenn Clark Radio as the Bat Around Zone. Paul Valley took over as the show's co-captain. The show remains the definitive place to find the best daily discussion of Baltimore sports. Watch the show at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. You never know who might pop up on GCR. The guys caught up with ESPN's college basketball analyst Jay Bylas, Seth Greenberg, CBS play-by-play voice Kevin Harlan, and more. Find those interviews and this week's Tyus Bowser show with special guest James Prochet and the Glenn Clark Radio Week interview feature right now at PressBoxOnline.com. 
There you go. Nick's, it, had to get, had to get you unmuted me. there. My yeah, bad. Uh, I had to get me unmuted, and then I had the perfect time <laughs> to clear my throat there. Uh, welcome back into the bat around into hour number two of the bat around, which is brought to you today by Toyota. Make the most out of every day in a Toyota Rav Four, available in hybrid or gas models only, or gas only models. Excuse me, a Rav Four can get you where you want to go in style. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Rav Fours from your local Toyota dealer today. All right, Zach, it is now time for sounding off with it Zach. Is. Goodman. It is. And I since I don't have my computer here, it's going to take me a second to bring this up. Okay, got it. Um, so, this week there was some Oriole Park news. It, it didn't really make the rounds. I actually saw this by accident because I was kind of, from one of my jobs, I kind of have to look through and see what's kind of going on in the sports world, for example. So, I actually kind of saw this by accident, but I thought it was really interesting. So, this is a, a quote, a direct quote from Post Bulletin. I believe they're a newspaper, magazine, somewhere around that. But they said, and I quote, fans heading to a ball game at Oriole Park at Camden Yards next spring will become a test subject for a new security technology that l- uses low-energy radar with 3D imaging and artificial intelligence to detect hidden threats. So basically, the Orioles are upgrading Camden Yards with this new 3D system that I guess is probably using AI and 3D imaging that's going to you know, basically make the ballpark safer. They're going to be able to see if people are trying to bring in weapons, whatever they're trying to bring in. And it's going to make everything a lot smoother, a lot safer. And the biggest thing for me here, I mean, that's obviously good because any time you can make a mass event safer, and especially like this day, you know, these times um, in, Baltimore. in Baltimore, it's a lot it's a lot better. I mean, that's obviously something that's great to see. So a few, a few observations I had on this is, number one, I love to see the Angeloses spending money to upgrade the ballpark. Because I've said for quite a while in the show now, I love Camden Yards. It's great. And maybe I take it for granted at this point. But I kind of feel that it's getting a little bit outdated and I would love to see some new technology brought in. So something like this, when I see that happen, I'm like, all right, now what can we do next? Can we bring in a new scoreboard? Can we bring in some new technology that makes the fan well, experience more exciting? They just, they, I mean, the the right field out of town scoreboard, they brought, that's that's new. Yeah, um, but I'm talking in, about in the, the last, actual one. In, in the last decade. So it's the yeah. scoreboard up above. The, they, they, it's still the worst one in baseball though. It's it, the smallest one, statistically. Is it really? Yeah. It's a small, well, yeah. that, it would be nice then to see them get, to get one. I but, agree. But they did upgrade that in the last 10 to 15 years. Yeah. But that doesn't mean they can't upgrade it. But again. before that, it was barely even digital. So, and that, you know, so it, it's it's come a long way since then, of course, too. But when you compare it to something like, I, I was at T-Mobile Park a few years ago up in Seattle, mm-hmm. and their scoreboard is just absolutely massive. And that's not a park that's really that new either. I believe that was 96, maybe 01, somewhere around what, that what, era. What? Uh, T-Mobile in Seattle with the uh, Mariners. Oh, oh, I, I always think of it as Safeco. Yeah, that opened, oh, that opened in 2000. 2000, yeah. So that's not that new of a ballpark either. Obviously, eight years older than, or newer than Camden Yards. But you look at the technology that a lot of these teams are putting into their stadiums, and it's far above what the Orioles are doing. So to see them put in AI and 3D imaging and all this technology to make the ballpark safer, it just kind of excites me that the Angeluses might be wanting to spend more money to, to upgrade the ballpark you know, in, in, in a bigger fashion, not only the security technology. Well, and, and what I like is that the Angelos, they have been spending more money. You look at the Dominican Academy, you look yes, at the, yes, the international yeah. signings and the seven-figure uh, bonus signings, um, what they're doing now at the ballpark. And I, may, hopefully they do get a bigger, a bigger. Um, it's still a crown jewel baseball. That, that, it's that, great, that's yeah. Same, I, but hopefully no they, they do get a bigger video board out there. Um, but what, one thing you didn't mention that I noticed, these upgrades would make it, more likely to get an all-star game yeah in, in true, baltimore because you you have people coming from all over the country and if they feel sick people don't want to come to baltimore because 
everybody watched The Wire, and it gave Baltimore such a bad name. It did. And look, and for good reason. Look, Baltimore is a very dangerous city. We, yes. we, we know that. If you have, if you're taking precautions and you're implementing new things and spending the money to make your ballpark as safe as possible, mm-hmm. it's going to make it more likely for you. And to people get are going to notice that. Game. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I'm surprised. I didn't hear this anywhere else besides the post bulletin, which is the reason I was a little bit like, wow, okay, I was, I was shocked. It was to see in that. the Baltimore Sun. Oh, that, was that, it? Okay. That, that's where I read about it. Fair I read okay, about it in cool. the Baltimore Sun either yesterday or the day before. Okay, cool. So gotcha. it, it, I, yeah, I, I saw it on Twitter. It's not getting a ton of publicity, mm-hmm. but it is out there. I, I did see it myself, and awesome. it was, it, yeah. it was in the Baltimore Sun. So yeah, no, anything that they can do to upgrade that ballpark I, I honestly what I really want to see them do and I don't know if they're ever going to do it but I think they need to is they need to fix the concourse yeah they, they, yeah. they need to knock out they they need to just re overhaul that stadium with mm-hmm. the with the mid-level concourse that you can see the ballpark while you're in line getting your food yeah the, the closed concourse is kind of an old style thing yeah. at this point um, I, I'll tell you I, I, I and I've said it on the show before I went out to PNC Park in yeah. Pittsburgh a couple of years back and I loved it there. Mm-hmm. I loved it there. there. There were two things that they do that the Orioles don't have at Camden Yards. It makes it that makes it compete with Camden Yards. Uh, the open concourse. Yeah. You can always see the field. That's now, the awesome. One, yeah. The one, th- but but by doing that, the concession stands are in the back rather than in the front. So you have your back. You have your back to the. Um, to the stadium, yeah. uh, as you're getting your food and your drinks and whatnot. But they also have have bars in there, like like legitimate bars in PNC, where you can still see the field and you're at, at a bar. And I thought that was awesome. But also in right field, they have an out of town scoreboard in right field too, just like the Orioles mm-hmm. do. And the Orioles have obstructive view. Yeah. In I believe it's section ninety in Camden Yards. It's ninety or ninety two where you get to a certain point in that section and it's a good bit of the section you can't see right field because the board's in your way. At at PNC Park, they have the fencing not the fencing, but they have the section angled and then up. So mm. at kind of like a forty five degree angle. So there's no seats that are obstructed by that right field wall. That makes sense. And I think yeah. that the Orioles really need to look into fixing that because you have people that are spending their hard earned money and even if it's fifteen bucks for those, I mean, you take a family of four for sixty bucks plus food plus parking. It's a lot of money to then go sit in the ballpark and only be able to see two thirds of the field. They need to fix that. They absolutely right. need to fix it. But you know, this is a good sign because they are upgrading uh, the the stadium. They're making it safer. A couple more things, and I think it's more likely that they get that they get an All Star game. So, and that's the other thing. A lot of people are talking about. Oh, it's just a mass in dispute. It's just a mass in dispute. The safety mm. in the yeah. city. Um, the ballpark is a little bit outdated, and the obstructive view. If you're going to an All Star game and you're paying that kind of money, you better be able to see the whole damn right. field. You know, right. I, I think that's something that the Orioles really need to look at and and fix. The thing about the safety in the city and the stigma around it, and it's actually why I didn't mention it, is because generally that area around Camden Yards is a very safe area of the city. I I never personally have never felt like I'm in danger at any point in Camden Yards. And I think a lot of people probably, you know, if say you live in California and you know nothing about Baltimore, you might think, oh yeah, I might feel in danger around there. But personally, I've never ever felt like that's a a dangerous place. But there's that stigma for sure. There's some dangerous places within walking distance of Camden Yards. There's so much security. Security at that stadium. There's so many uh, police walking around. You yeah. don't know how many undercover officers. Oh yeah, I'm sure are, are walking yeah. around there, and it's such a public spot. Yeah, you are not in danger at the. Right. Now, of course, we say that somebody brought a gun into um, 
the the ballpark uh, in, down in D.C. Yeah, and, and that's gonna season. and that can happen anywhere, really. I mean, there's D.C. Cra- there's, isn't safe either. No, and, and there's crazy people everywhere, so it just yeah. it happens anytime, anyplace. Yeah, but but the thing is, and look, like I said, there's within walking distance of Canyon Yards, yep. some pretty pretty damn bad areas. Yeah. but you're safe at the stadium. Yes. You're safe. I've never felt in danger. You know. Uh, the only time was the Freddie Gray thing, but we're not we're not going to get into that. The, <laughs> no. the, that. I mean, that's why they, they had no fans at the ballpark. But I digress. Really good sounding off segment today. Not that they're all not really good, but this was important. It's, it's getting harder without baseball. It is, but th- no, <laughs> but th- this is this is an important one. And you yeah. know, you can sound you can sound off. I mean, you can you obviously have to sound off on baseball, but you can yeah. sa- you can sound off on anything. Like there's so many things that you could do. Sure. But anyway, but sounding off with Zach Goodman, it was brought to you by Underdog Fantasy Football. Look, we can bet on sports now in Maryland. Uh, just this past week at brick and mortar sites, you can go to these casinos, you can place your bets on uh, on sports, but you still can't bet online. Or on your phone. But, however, you can uh, feel like you're betting totally legally by playing underdog fantasy football. Player props, parlays, and traditional fantasy games are all available, and we're going to give you some free money to play with. Thanks to our friends at Underdog Fantasy Football. Go to underdogfantasy.com or download the Underdog Fantasy app. Use the code PRESSBOX, and whatever you download, up to $100, we will match. Uh, that's right, up to $100 when you use the code PRESSBOX with Underdog Fantasy football we got to catch a break here uh when we come back we're gonna do our orioles roster of the last three years that we think would be the most competitive on orioles banter and then we're gonna talk to justin toscano who is a bit a mets beat writer for the record up in new jersey glory days grills winter seasonal menu is back with comfort classics like their house-made meatloaf and short rib grilled cheese it also features the center cut sirloin with grilled shrimp the char grilled pork tenderloin grilled meatloaf sandwich smoky thigh wings with alabama barbecue sauce and a brussels and bacon appetizer all of these items pair well with devil's backbone eight point ipa or their anniversary ipa brewed by devil's backbone and try their seasonal cocktails blood orange bird Urban Cider, Apple Ginger Mule, and Captain's Hot Cider. Find out more and get your order in today at glorydaysgrill.com. Great food, good sports. What's up, everybody? This is Taz Bowser. I can't wait to see you guys for the Taz Bowser Show this fall. We're going to be taking the show on the road all over the area. You can meet me and my very special guests. If you can't make it out, you can watch the show on live on Pressbox Facebook page or listen the next day. Find out more about where we'll be by checking out pressboxonline.com slash Bowser. We'll see you all season long for the Ties Bowser Show. The next Ties Bowser Show is Tuesday, December 21st at Skipjacks on Bel Air Road in Overly. The show is brought to you by Pressbox, Great Eights Memorabilia, Window Depot Baltimore, WindowDepotBaltimore.com, Duffy's Garage in Baldwin, Duffy's Garage MD.com, and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard joins the show courtesy of MyBookie. That first sip. <sighs> that first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast. Royal Farms. 
Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. From all of the biggest games to the smallest events, make every bet worth your while at MyBookie. Start by doubling your first deposit instantly with MyBookie's first deposit bonus up to $1,000. Double your money before you even place a bet, and all you have to do is sign up and deposit using the exclusive promo code PRESSBOX at MyBookie.ag. If your first deposit is $100, MyBookie adds $100 so you can start with $200 to play with. If your first deposit is $1,000, MyBookie adds $1,000 so you can start with with $2,000 to play with. With tons of great games and prop bets to take advantage of this week, there is truly something for everyone. Don't wait any longer. Head to MyBookie today to redeem your double deposit bonus so you can start winning big today. That's promo code PRESSBOX to receive double your first deposit instantly in your account. No hassle, no wait. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with MyBookie. The latest edition of PressBox is available now. On the cover, Mike Ashley dives in on 20 seasons for Brenda Freeze as the head coach of the Maryland women's basketball team as she looks back but also looks forward. Plus, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from every D1 program in the area. And the very first Baltimore interview with Elijah Green, the son of former Raven Eric Green, who could well be the Orioles' pick with the number one spot in next year's MLB draft. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Once again, this season, PressBox's Project Game Day is the destination at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You want to talk about the game without all the nonsense, coach speak, and fluff of your typical show? Tune, tune in to Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime, and he's once again joined postgame by your favorite analysts, like the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard, Ken Zalis, and more. Ken Zalis joins Glenn tomorrow for the Baltimore-Cleveland matchup. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash Sports and listen to PressBoxOnline.com. Slash radio. Pressbox's Project Game Day, every game day, presented by Glory Days Grill and Window Nation. All right, young Zach, man. Let's do it. When, uh, when I was a kid, I, my, I, I, he's still my cousin. My cousin, Zach, we always called him Zach, man. He was, he was an inc- really? incredible athlete. Varsity football, I think, as a sophomore. He was a, like an all-world baseball player. One of the best athletes I've ever known. You're just describing me, basically. Yeah, b- basically. <laughs> ba- basically, Zach Goodman. But So we all, we all just called him Zach, man. I, it's, it's, a, it's a cool nickname. If, Is if, it? I don't know. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. Like Pac-Man. But Zach, okay, man, okay, when, I, when okay, I was a kid, okay. if, if my name had been Zach and people would call me. When I was a kid, I had a, I had a cool nickname. I was a really – I'm a good baseball player, but when I was mm-hmm. a kid, I was really good. Mm-hmm. Um and then I wasn't, and then I was again. Um, but my my teammates called me Rally Valley. That's pretty cool. I, a, I like that one a lot that's better. A, that's yeah. a cool nickname. And I remember the first time they did it was when, uh, I hit a grand slam. It nice. was it nice. was still the only grand slam of my life. It's like my <laughs> my my shining moment at the NC yeah. at the end at the end of the NCAA tournament. But anyway, anywho, it's time for Orioles banter. Uh, this is so what Zach and I decided to do this week. Everybody is we decided to create our own roster. Mm-hmm. That uh, com- uh, compiled of players from each of the last three seasons, 2019, 2020, 2021, to see if, because these teams were really freaking bad, mm-hmm. right? 
And, and it's basically to see if we can make a competitive team out of the crap we that can't. they had. We, we can't. I'm just going to spoil it for everyone. <laughs> I think this is a team that could win 75 games, maybe. Maybe. I mean, if you, had, the, if you had Chris Davis 26 times in this roster, I'm sure they would win 75 games. Because obviously, Chris Davis can pitch, he can hit. Anyway, I don't know if you made your list. He didn't make mine. No, Chris Davis did not make my list. And we decided to start in 2019 because 2018... Even though it was the worst of all the seasons, the Orioles still had some some really good talent so on I, that team. I should have asked you more questions about this because are, are we going off of the twenty five man rule that used to be in place? Or no, the it's twenty six. Okay, okay. It's, it's, one, it's in twenty nineteen. Technically, there it was, was a tw- yeah, okay. but it's it's a twenty six man roster. Okay, so I'm gonna start. We'll go back and forth on these positions. Okay, first base. I have twenty twenty one Ryan Mountcastle. I do not have him there. Um, I have twenty nineteen Troy Mancini. I don't know. It's 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 a good choice. I yeah. went I went back and forth, but I took twenty twenty one uh, Ryan Mountcastle. He didn't make a ton of errors over there, and I think that I'm building a roster based on a guy what I think he's gonna do. Like like look, it's not insert. I guess you could be insert his stats from that year, but I think Ryan Mountcastle was really good from from May on. So he's my first no baseman. Uh, second base. It has to be Jonathan VR. There's no 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 question. 19 VR. Yeah. 19 VR. He, honestly, one of the better seasons in Orioles franchise yes. history that nobody talks about. Not only that, it's the best of of the, any re- the rebuild they've been going through. It's the best season that anyone's had by far. I, I would even say maybe over Mullins. It, it's close. He he really had an incredible year. Maybe not over Mullins. Not, not, not over I'm Mullins. Probably stretching that, but, but, but it was but close. He, he stole 40 bags. He hit 24 yeah. homers. He hit 279. Yeah. Uh, the second half of the season in 2019, he was the Orioles' best he player. Was, he was almost a five-war player yeah, that year. He, 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 was, he was the Orioles' best so maybe, player. Maybe second to Mullins, it's the best season it, anyone's it, had. It, it was Mancini's season in 2019 was pretty phenomenal too. Uh, I, w- I, but, would t- I would take VR, but yeah, fair but, enough. But, but what VR d- gives you, and yeah, for the cycle that year, yeah, he was a he was just so locked in. I, I loved the season. He, I loved his season so much. I was like beside myself upset when they traded him, and Me I knew, too. and I knew they were going to, and I was still beside for, for myself upset. Easton Lucas, Be- yeah. yeah. Because I mean, he still could be something. He's only Maybe. pitched one season for them, but uh, in the minors. But Fair. Jonathan VR was just one of those guys, man. Where it's like, I watched games in 2019 because of VR. Like I, I watched the games anyway, but only kind of paying attention. Mm-hmm. I loved watching VR play. Not in the first half when he got picked off like six times, mm. but he was so good. That season, it, it was he was just a fun player to watch. It was fun. He made a legitimate difference on this team. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, as much a difference as you can make on a 108 loss yep. team. Yep. Um, third base, I have Hanser Alberto from 2019. I actually have Renato Nunez from 2019. Um, and again, not a guy who really played there a lot, but he did play there enough to make me to make him eligible for this list. And he is a guy with 31 home runs. Um, he had, you know, he wasn't great. He only hit 244, but I, I will take Renato Nunez there. Uh, see, I thought about that. I put Alberto there because batting average was better. Yep. I think he's a little bit better of a defender. Yeah, definitely. You could call uh, Renato Nunez Stone Hans McMahon. Uh, he is, yeah, he is yeah. just a. Uh, uh, by the way, I'm pretty sure that's a nickname I created. All I, of my I, I think it is. Stone Hans McMahon. I'm reasonably confident either of us could play a better third base than Renato Nunez. Yeah, and, I'm, and, I'm and, reasonably and, confident. And that's, and that's the thing. That's the, Ultimately, that's what it came down to mm-hmm. was the defense. And I just think he would be so bad. Yeah. You want a team that's going to be competitive? His third base, his playing at third base makes you less competitive. Fair, I think fair. Uh, at shortstop, and this was the guy who I I didn't forget that he played. But when I started thinking about this roster, it was like, who am I going to put at shortstop? Do I have to put VR at shortstop mm-hmm. to put Arias at second base? And then I realized, 
Jose Iglesias played shortstop for the Orioles in 2020. That's it, the guy. He hit 373. That's the guy. That's the he, guy. It, 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 the 2020 version of Jose Iglesias was absolutely fantastic. Yep. The leg injuries, but he was the bat was the best in the lineup. Uh, left field. Austin Hayes, twenty twenty one. Yep, easy. Yeah, easy. he he finally he finally stayed relatively healthy. Yep, he had over twenty homers. The defense was phenomenal. The arm was phenomenal. It's got to be it. center field. Duh, Cedric Mullins. No question. Right, right field. I think we probably have the same player. Maybe not the same year. I have Santander from twenty nineteen. I have him from twenty twenty. Yeah, from twenty twenty. He was a Gold Glove finalist in twenty twenty. Um, he was the Orioles' best hitter until he went down um, with the in, with the injury. Yeah. For me, twenty nineteen. He got so locked in there for a long stretch. Yeah, the the twenty homers, uh, power from both sides, the whole um, the United Kingdom, Anthony Santander fan that was club, awesome. yeah. uh, and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he played left field, played right field, so versatility. I thought that that was his best year, and he, he played. He played. It was his. I think he played more games this year, but it was the, the year where he played the most games and sta- and did the most damage. I, I think overall, when you look at this lineup that we just presented, and obviously we, we didn't do DH or catcher yet, but I'm starting to see if you put them all together, it's not actually that bad. I think when you get to the pitching is where it starts to get really rough. Yeah, yeah. Now, a catcher, what sucks about this is I don't like this guy. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like this catcher, but he's the only catcher that you could pick from the last three years is Pedro right. Severino. That's it. I did Pedro Severino 2020 because it was a I higher batting average. It was a higher on-base percentage. And the first half of that season, the first half, the th- first 30 games, if there had been an All-Star game, he would have been the starter in the yep. All-Star game. Uh, he was really bad the last month yep. of the season. But... And he was really good the first month. You know, this year he wasn't horrible. I wouldn't say he was the worst he was player in hor- baseball. He was horrible the first half. He was he was yeah, he was solid the second solid. half. Solid, but the defense for me is just so inexcusable. I, I didn't see a lot of effort, and I, I always would get on Pedro on the show about you know not really trying as hard as I think he could to block some of the balls that he didn't. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just uh, he's on a bad team, so maybe he doesn't really care that he's not I don't know but whatever whatever the deal was with that Severino 2020 makes the most sense but unfortunately there's just no better option hopefully if we do this again in five years Rutschman from 2022 or 23 24 will be the guy hopefully we won't need to do this in five years (laughs) because this is just because we have nothing to talk about because there's a lockout and hopefully the Orioles are really good that their roster speaks for itself as is yeah um at DH 2019 Trey Mancini uh, the guy hit over 290, 35 homers, 38 doubles, 97 RBIs. He was incredible mm-hmm. in 2019 with a bad lineup. He was absolutely incredible in 20. He had a little bit of a stretch in July and August where he wasn't very good, but then tore the freaking cover off the mm-hmm. ball in September. One of the better seasons I've I've seen in a long time. Uh, in Baltimore, uh, it's kind of what I was hoping for from Trey this year. I still think he has it in him I, uh, in 2021 uh, is what I was was hoping for. But you had to be realistic based off what he was coming off of. I think that he could get closer to that in 2022, another year removed from everything and more well rested. Um, but it's got to be Trey. He he can't not be in your starting lineup. The reason I went Mountcastle over him at first base is Mountcastle is younger, faster, and more athletic. See, I, I actually prefer Trey's play at first base, so that's why I put Trey there and Mountcastle at DH. He's my 2021. Mountcastle's my DH. Mm-hmm. Um, I would rather see Mountcastle just be there instead of first base. Um, they both had negative defensive war though, so it's not really too big of a deal. I mean, they're they're both pretty. Oh, I mean, they're not. I wouldn't really even call them okay. They're they're pretty bad at first base when you look at the defensive metrics. But they do the job enough to the point where it's like you can throw them out there and, and be okay with that. I saw Mountcastle make some really nice picks. He did th- towards he did. the end, towards the end of the year, and if if he h- feels the ground balls that are that are 
hit to him, mm-hmm. and he makes outs out of errors by on poor throws. That's all I care about. I don't need spectacular plays. I don't. I don't need you to be the best first baseman in baseball. I need you to be able to pick a gra- pick pick a short hop. Yeah. and field a ground ball. And I think Trey can too. Yeah, I, I, I think I, they both can. They're both in the major leagues. They both I, can. They're probably very very close on the major or on the uh, defensive spectrum. They're very close. It's just I would personally rather have Trey, and you'd rather have Mountcastle. It's it's and really close. The, the other thing is. Mountcastle's still only 24 years old. Yeah, he's going to get better. He's yeah. going to get better. Yeah. He's he, he's an athlete. He's athletic. He's going to get better. Yeah. Uh, bench. Yep. This one was uh, tough. I'll this, be honest. This was tough. This one was tough. I did not have a fourth outfielder because I figured that you can have Mancini or Mountcastle play the outfield yeah, I, I the didn't if, if you need to. So I'm going to start with catcher. <sighs> the best of the worst, <laughs> I guess. I, I went with Chance Sisko in 2020. Oh, okay. He showed a little bit of power. The batting average was was higher than it was in 2021. Mm-hmm. And the on-base percentage was, was around 350. So the guy can get on base. The, look, there's not there's there's nobody else. I went with Brian Holiday because I think Holiday is an excellent defender, and I think the games he did catch, I think the Orioles pitchers are better off for it. He played like four games in 2020. Uh, he did not play much at all. He played 20 games. Did he really? Yeah. How many at bats did he have? He, he, he had 31. 31 at bats. So not a lot, but so, the, so he the was, defense was while well, he, he was there. He was a defensive replacement a lot of times, and yeah. he got very. I wonder how many games started he had. I feel like uh, he had game, game started probably a lot less. Let me see. Uh, if he played twenty games, I bet he had six games started. It doesn't say that on Baseball Reference, but I can dig into it a little bit deeper. But yeah, yeah you're right. A lot of late inning defensive replacements, but that's why I picked him because I think he's a really, really good defender. No, um, regardless of what he does with the bat, I, I get it. It was it was between Holiday mm-hmm. and and Chan Cisco for me, but I thought the on base capabilities for Cisco and, and Cisco's arm got better. Cisco, the, yeah. the defense wasn't great, but the arm got better. Um, at the you know expense of his bat, I suppose. But th- he was my pick. Um, my other bench player, my second bench player, Pat Valeka, twenty twenty. Okay. Pat Valeka hit two seventy eight. He hit eight homers. Played fifty four games. Was was not didn't hurt you defensively. I thought Pat Valeka had a really nice year in twenty twenty, and I so it gave me higher expectations for him for twenty twenty one. Uh, which he certainly did not live up to. Yeah. So I don't need to see him again. But 2020, <laughs> Pat Valleca was, was, in my opinion, very good. So I went with my first guy. I went with Jorge Mateo. I think Jorge Mateo is a, a very, very highly valued guy because he can play everywhere. The guy can play center field. He can play shortstop, second base. And I think the bat is is, a, is drastically better than a lot of the other options. Um, so Mateo with his speed off the bench, I think that's a, a lethal factor. The defense that being able to play absolutely anywhere on the diamond, Jorge Mateo is my guy. No, that, that's, that's a solid pick. I didn't consider Mateo because... For me, the sample size is too small. Fair enough. And, and yeah. there, there's some guys on my list where the sample size is too small. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you have to you have to fill out a roster, yeah. right? And there were there right. were there were other guys who I thought were deserving on 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 some rosters. And um, Mateo also, uh, what scares the crap out of me with him and with Arias, um, though I do have Arias on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, what scares the crap out of me out of them is when they finally got extended looks, extended playing time. They both finished the season injured. Yeah, that's and, definitely and, concerning, and, and that, that was a red flag for me. Um, so Mateo was—I considered him strong, but he was left off the list. I'm big into them both, as you know. I, I really like those two guys. I hope they have a lot of success in 22. I, I certainly do too. Um, my other, my next bench player, Renato Nunez, 2019. Okay. okay, 31 homers, 90 RBIs. That's a guy that look just because he's on the bench. Just because he's not your everyday player, he's still going to play four to five times a week. He, mm-hmm. he'll, he'll spell he'll spell at third base. He'll spell at first base. He'll DH. 
he wasn't he wasn't an everyday player for the Orioles in 2019, but he played four to five to six days a week because he he was he could DH or he could play first. I mean, I guess he was their everyday DH because Mountcastle wasn't there yet. Right. But there's a reason that he wasn't here last year. Okay. Yeah, right? I, I I agree. I mean, I Renato is he made my list at third base because he's a guy who has a ton of power and he produced relatively well, especially through if you look at April and May of 2019, he was the best hitter on that team at that point. He was unbelievable through April. I think he was hitting around 290 at that point. Yeah. He was unbelievable, and then he just kind of fell off and he got. Nervous. He's a very hot and cold player where he'll have a week where he hits you know seven home runs, and the next in the next couple weeks he'll do nothing, and, and that's and, just and, the way he and was. And that's the thing, Renato Nunez built. A 2019 season off of he'll hit five home runs at the beginning of the month and he won't hit right another home run for four weeks right and that's you know? what that was honestly it might it may have been the biggest reason he was non-tendered yeah um who's your next bench player so i only did a three-man bench i'm, I'm assuming you did four. I, I, I did a four-man bench. okay so i went with hanser alberto and i i you know bringing a guy like that off the bench against lefties is lethal um and like you said i mateo can kind of play the outfield for me so that's why i didn't include a a natural outfielder in this on this bench um and Alberto's a guy who can play all around the infield, too. He even played some first base for the Orioles. So, uh, for me, Alberto is a guy who can come out and crush lefties and be that valuable piece off the bench. For me, uh, my, my fourth out, my fourth um, bench player is Ramona Rios, okay. 2021. I think he proved that his bat plays. I, I, I should have said 19, by the way, for yeah. Alberto. Yeah, I, I assumed that. Yeah. I assumed that. But um, 2021, uh, Ramona Rios. Look, I don't like that he finished the year hurt. But uh, there were times he, he was arguably the Orioles' most clutch hitter. Um, one of the most clutch hitters. Yeah, and he played decent enough defense at second base. I think he had a, he he had he was a positive defensive player. Um, I'm not at, sure at, at second base. And he had what was his WAR? His WAR was like two or three. It right? was like two and a half. Yeah, yeah. And he yeah. was and he wasn't an everyday player. Uh, I uh, he became one, but he wasn't to start the year. Mm-hmm. I, I look at Ramon Arias and I have high hopes for him in 2022. So he he makes my bench as my fourth player. Now let's move on to the starting pitchers. Obviously, <laughs> John Means. Uh, I took John Means 2021 because what, what, what he did, the uh, the ERA was better, actually, in, in 2019. But what he did before the shoulder inflammation mm-hmm. in twenty in 2021 was absolutely... He, he was the, the odds-on favorite for Cy Young. Right. Uh, and then the shoulder injury flared up. But it's got to be John Means. Uh, that was your that's your first yep, pitcher. Twenty twenty one. My yep. number two is Andrew Kashner from twenty nineteen. He okay. was he was really good. He would he his his season started poorly, but then he hit this streak where he would go out there and give you six or seven innings of one to two run ball. Right, and that's what got him traded to the Red Sox. And he was terrible for the Red Sox. But uh, Andrew Kashner to me is a runaway at num- as the number two starter. He's right there for me at number two. Yep. Right. Um, my number three, Alex Cobb in twenty twenty. Same here. Yep. <laughs> uh, number four. This is where it might be different. I have Chris Ellis from 2021. I do not have Chris Ellis. <laughs> six starts, man. He had six starts, and mm-hmm. I don't think he ever gave up more than two runs. The ERA was like 288 or two... Or no, I think it was like 245, something like that. He was not overpowering stuff, but the guy knows how to pitch, which is why I'm so... I was so surprised that they, that they outrighted him, and I mean, nobody's... Maybe they signed him again. He, he didn't get picked up by anybody, but Chris Ellis yeah. is a guy who I expected to be... To have a shot at the Orioles rotation, or at the very least, their bullpen uh, next year. 
Uh, you look at the Orioles' ro- rotation in the last three years, there's not many choices. I thought Chris Ellis was one of the better pitchers. My number four was 2019 Dylan Bundy. I think Dylan Bundy you know, started 30 games, 4.79 ERA. That's perfectly acceptable for an Orioles pitcher in this era. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought about Dylan Bundy, but the home runs that he allowed, yeah, he, it, it was just too much. And there was that one game against the Royals where I believe he allowed, what was it, like four home runs in four the first inning? Four home runs in the first inning, yeah. 10 runs, and he, never, it was he, he, he didn't get an out. Shocking. It he was shocking. He didn't get an out in yeah. the first inning. Um, my number five starter, Bruce Zimmerman, twenty twenty one. I love his curveball. He was really rounding into form before the injury. Um, Bruce Zimmerman, I have high hopes for him in twenty twenty two. I think that he was of all the rookie pitchers that came up last year, he was the best of them. Agreed. I'm a big fan of Bruce, and I'm excited to see what he brings. But I actually didn't have him. I had Tommy Malone from twenty twenty. I think the way Malone pitched, and the, the Orioles were able to trade a guy they signed for a minor league deal to the Braves, and they got international prospects back, which obviously it remains to be seen what they become. But a guy like Tommy Malone was very reliable for them. And, you know, he wasn't great. He wasn't, no one, no one was saying, Cy, you know, Cy Young for, for Tommy Malone or something. But he was reliable enough and solid enough where I think he makes my list at number five. Yeah, um, look, I, I thought about Tommy Malone, only six starts. And I, I, that's a guy who, when I looked at him, I think that what he did with the Braves, he would have done with the Orioles. Fair I, enough. The, the, the plus eight ERA. I, I, yeah. And he ended up getting hurt uh, with the Braves not finishing the season with them. I thought that he was good for, for five starts. The first start was really bad, but then he was good for five starts after that. And good for the Orioles for getting something out of that, mm-hmm. uh, for getting something for him. But I knew I, I thought that they traded him just before he was going to fall. Apart. It was the right time, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, perfect timing for them. Uh, so let's move on to the bullpen. Uh, you obviously have an extra bullpen guy yeah. than I do, so I'm going to let you go first. So here. I don't really have them in any specific order here, except for for Closer is the only one that has different differentiated from the rest of them. Mm. But to start off, I had 2021 Tyler Wells. Uh, Tyler, 2021 Tyler Wells is my Closer. Okay. He's my closer. He did not make my closer role. Yeah, but yeah. Um, he would be in the back end of the bullpen, obviously, for me. Um, just the first guy I ended up writing down. But Tyler Wells, a surprise this year, uh, second-round selection in the Rule 5, and a guy that is going to be in this bullpen for a long time. Maybe he could make some starts this year. You never know. But I, I think he definitely takes over that closer role if he gets the chance this year. Yeah, he, he, he was 100% my, my, my closer. Yep. Um, my next relief pitcher, I have Tanner Scott from 2020. He finally put I do it all well. together. He was He was – Phenomenal. He was absolutely phenomenal. The wall rate was still a little high, but that was a dude when he came in, you knew that you weren't you weren't touching him. Yep, he's on my list as well. He, he was yep. incredible. Um, my next relief pitcher is Paul Fry from 2020. I have that as well. I, I'm not a big Paul Fry guy. And, no, and, not either. And, and he's very much a first half pitcher. Yeah. But there was only 60 games, and he was very good. And I do believe it was a very questionable decision to, to pay me 150000 in arbitration this year. Um, but he was very good in 2020, so we'll if, give him that. I think he was a guy, and I, you don't want to speculate too much, but his season fell apart after this whole spider attack thing. Yeah. And it's unfortunate to say. You you, you, you don't want to speculate, but you do speculate because uh, it was well, odd timing. Um, so you look at Paul Fry, hopefully he spends the offseason figuring out how to get that spin rate back up, and he uh, uh, provides some, a quality arm for the Orioles, at least for the first half mm-hmm. uh, in 2022. My next relief pitcher, Sean Armstrong from 2020. He was terrible in 21. But in 20, he was very, very, very good. I do not have Sean Armstrong, actually. Um, I My next guy, I'm just going to keep going down this list again. I don't have it in order. I have Cole Saucer from 2021. Cole Saucer was very reliable, and he's a guy that I, you know, he came back from the injuries, but he just, 
he's a guy to me that is extremely reliable when you need him. And he's had his struggles for sure, like most of the guys on this list have had their struggles. But he's a guy that I, I really like a lot and I want to see come back. Oh, absolutely. Cole Salser is my setup man. Um, okay. From 2021, he's my nice. setup man on, on this list. Um he, he he was really good, and I th- I think that you can't discount the fact that his foot was injured right. in in 2020. He said that, and everybody's like, "Oh, that's just an excuse." No, you saw how he pitched all year this he year. He was so reliable. Yeah. He would come in, and you'd be like, "All right, he's getting through this inning without you know giving up any runs." He and just he did the job. He 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 walked the world in 2020. Mm-hmm. He didn't do that in 2021. When he got when the Orioles picked him up in the offseason between 19 and 20, I was super excited because he had a good minor league career, and even though he was older. Seven shutout innings in relief for the Rays in 2019. Mm-hmm. And he, he was that good for the Rays. The Rays, no pitching. Yeah. Right? I was excited for him. I saw what I expected to see out of him this year that I expected to see out of him in 2020. Um, next on my list, Miguel Castro, 2019. The arm's always been electric. The ERA was a little higher. I think it was 402 in 2019. Yeah. But that's still far better than anybody other than Salser in the Orioles' bullpen in 2021. So I, I took um, 2019 Miguel Castro. He was on my list as well. Yep. All right. Uh, 2020 Michael Givens. I didn't realize his ERA was like 108 mm-hmm. or something like that in um or 138 in 2020 and that's what got him traded to the Rockies. Mm-hmm. Michael Givens uh he, I don't think he was a closer. I don't think you don't want to I think he was more he's a better setup man. I think the the pressure of being in the closer's role got to him a little bit cuz he was bad as a closer in my opinion. He's a he's a back end reliever for me. I don't disagree but he made my closer role. That is my 2020 is my closer role for for Givens. Uh, and then finally, 2021 Jorge Lopez. I know he only had a few games out of the bullpen. He was really good out of the bullpen. And I think that that arm is so... Every start that he had for the most part, save for a couple, he was really good the first time through the order. So I think that Jorge Lopez, his first time through an order, is an elite reliever. Mm-hmm. He just needs to stay healthy and show it because I think he was beginning to show it when he got taken out of the bullpen. The you remember that game where he was throwing like eighty eight? Yeah, when it was like he, yeah. was, he was like ten miles an hour slower. Weird, it, very weird. And yeah. so they take him out of the rotation to give him some rest. They put him in the bullpen and he's back up to ninety eight, ninety nine miles yeah. an hour. I think that arm is electric and I think that he's a solid bullpen piece if he can stay healthy. So my next guy was twenty twenty Travis Lakins, uh, two eight one ERA over I believe it was twenty two games, which. Isn't a large sample size, but a 281 ERA I think deserves to be in there. Lakins fell off the face of the earth this year in 2021, but he deserves to be there from 2020. I did not put uh, my list is done, by the way. I think you have one more. Or are you done? No, I still have two more, actually. It, yeah, I have 26, but I still have two more. I don't know how that happened. We, uh, we might, I don't you know either, I think it, it's because some of the guys you mentioned, I was like, oh, I had that guy too. Right. I have, um, I have it lined up, so it's, it's 26 um, for sure. Um, Lakins almost made my list because if you look at what at the innings and the ERA, it's good. But then I, I remembered the WHIP, and the WHIP was over. It was like one point five four five. It was something something along those lines, which means he was more lucky than good, in my opinion. He yeah. put a, he put a lot of guys on base, and I don't I don't want a guy in my bullpen that puts a lot of guys on base. I want a guy that can keep guys off base. And to me, even though the ERA was really good. I think you saw more of what you could really realistically expect from Travis Lakins in 2021 um, based on what the whip was in 2020. So I, I had to throw a lefty in here because I think it's just smart to, 
to put a lefty in his bullpen. So I, I did Richard Blyer from 2019. Obviously, oh, that's such a good one. Yeah. I forgot about Richard Blyer. I, I, I had to throw a lefty in there. So so Blyer made my list, and we got to go quick here because we got a guest coming up. But Dylan Tate also from 2021 made my list. Um, he was. He, I, he I, lost, I hated Dylan Tate in 21. He lost six games, but the ERA was respectable enough, and I think that he's another guy. When I when he came in, I had this confidence in him that he was going to get through, and he had some ups and downs. But I I really like Dylan Tate. I'm a big there, fan. There were there were games where Dylan Tate would come in, throw two innings, and strike out five guys, right? Give up nothing, right? And then there were games where he would come in and he'd have 0-2 and he'd throw a fastball right down the middle, and get mm-hmm. hit out for a game tying home run. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew Benintendi. Um, <laughs> and he did that a lot. I. I did not trust him. I thought that he was capable, but too many fat fastballs right down the middle yeah, of the plate. I like Dylan Tate. I think eventually, there's many people around this organization that say he has the most electric arm in that bullpen. I think he can figure it out, but I have to see it first. So I could, I couldn't, I couldn't put him on the list. I, I just couldn't do it. Um, who was the other guy that you said, Richard Blyer? Richard Blyer, B- because coming off the injury in 2019, he was really bad. He was, yeah. he was good for at the beginning of the 2020 season. I'm upset. Because I would have loved to have put him in there, and I totally forgot about the him. The ERA wasn't good; it was five three seven. But he, in in, 20, he got, in 2019, which was surprising to me, but 2020 he got better. He was 2020 better. got a lot better. But the reason I, he only played two games for the Orioles in 2020 because he got yeah. traded almost immediately. In but the I think season. he pitched well for the Marlins. Too. He did. He had like a two something ERA. Yeah, he was yeah, really good. He was just coming off um, the injury. But Blyer had some games, especially towards the end of the season, where he was incredible. And that you know having a lefty that reliable out of your bullpen was a, a big piece for the Orioles in 19. Absolutely, we got to get our next guest, Justin Toscano, the Mets beat writer for the. Oh, oh, yeah, you probably need the number, right? I do. Um, so he's going to be our next guest on the program here. The, the program? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Love it. Of course, my phone wants to act all sorts of slow. Here, just okay. take it from the top. Gotcha. There. Well, Zach, those I just want to point out that Orioles Banter Today was brought to you by the Press Box Fantasy Football Show. You can join us every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. for the Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalas. KZ will help you set your lineups and find deep sleepers that might still be on your waiver wire in order to help you win your matchups. It is all brought to you by CCBC, the Maryland Department of Transportation, and Glory Days Grill. That's a Press Box Fantasy Football Show with Ken Zalas every Thursday at 11.30 a.m. You can watch it at facebook.com slash pressboxsports and listen at pressboxonline.com slash radio. Um, regular season's over in fantasy football. We are into the postseason now. We are into the playoffs. So you have... Uh, you have the next fantasy football show is going to be helping you set your lines for the playoffs and helping you get ready to try and win win a championship if you're in there. I'm I I'm clinging to the five or six seed in three of my four leagues. In the fourth league, I am dead last. I am two. I'm sorry. I just got another win. I am three and ten, and ten in my other league. It's it's been brutal. But you can uh, if you want to help with setting your fantasy football lines for the, just in time for the playoffs, join us every Thursday at 11:30 a.m. for the uh, the press box fantasy football show with Ken Zalas. Joining us now, he is the Mets beat writer from the record up in New Jersey. His name is Justin Toscano. Justin, how are you this morning? Thanks for taking some time for us. Yeah, yeah, doing well. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Absolutely, absolutely. We're excited to talk to you, uh, talk to you because look, the Mets have been extremely active. I think we're seeing more this offseason, before the lockout, more this offseason, what we were expecting to see in the 2020 offseason, even though they were active then too. Uh, let's start with Max Scherzer. Three years, $130 million. I know he's 37 years old, but do you think that this is the new trend in baseball for pitchers, shorter contracts, bigger money like Trevor Bauer? 
Yeah, yeah, I do think it could be a little bit of a newer trend because they're not on the hook as much for the years. And look, a lot of these owners, I know Steve Cohen valued it, you know, north of $14 billion, um, but these owners are billionaires. They, they've got the money to, you know, do some of these contracts. It's just a matter of if they want to, if they want to shell out that money. But I think this could be a little bit of the new trend because it satisfies both sides in a way, right? Like the team isn't on the hook for five or six years when you just never know with pitcher injuries, declines, things like that. But on the other hand, because of that, the compromise is that, you know, the, the AAV is higher for these pitchers. So I think that, um, yeah, like Trevor Bauer uh, doing a little bit to set that trend uh, last offseason. And a guy like Max Scherzer, this is a perfect deal for him because he's really shown, you know, you mentioned the age, but no signs of slowing down. So to get him uh, on this amount of years, um, he still gets his money. But I think it's, it's very good for both sides. Well, yeah, and and the thing about his age, we all know Father Time is undefeated, except for with Tom Brady, apparently. But um, <laughs> with with Max Scherzer, the the contract that he signed with the Nationals, he was worth every penny for the length of that contract. And it, it, you never see that in baseball. You never see these seven to ten year contracts for thirty million dollars a year pan out for the the length of the contract. So you're getting that durability with Max Scherzer. He's that guy who is worth it, and I think that he provides a really nice one-two punch with Jacob to, to Grom. And having mentioned that, how good is this one-two punch? Is it the best one-two punch in baseball? I mean, you know, I think you can make a really strong case because I, I think now it's got to be, especially, I mean, there's a big if there. Like if Jacob de Grom returns to be the Jacob de Grom he was, you know, for the first half of last season. Yeah, and Max Scherzer is Max Scherzer. I think it's got to be the best one-two punch. I mean, you look over at L.A., they've got Bueller, but, um, you know, who knows uh, about Bauer. I mean, I mean, just looking, uh, the Yankees have Garrett Cole. Nobody really, you know, behind that in terms of a one-two punch. I think it really should be the best one-two punch in, in baseball, especially if DeGrom returns to be who he can. Um, now, that's a big if. Nobody, you know, really knows. We didn't see him pitch after, I think it was July 7th or July 9th or, or something like that. But, I mean, it's got to be. And I think that was the thinking for the Mets. Is as good as Marcus Stroman was, the chance to maybe save some of that money and use it on Max Scherzer to give them a, a one-two punch that can really compete with any in baseball is, uh, you know, was was really good for the Mets, especially when you consider that, you know, in the playoffs, you're starting out, you know, your, your top three guys uh, initially. And so to, to send out DeGrom and Scherzer on back-to-back days, you know, hopefully you, you hope they're healthy by then. Um, that's that's pretty unbeatable, especially with the lineup the Mets are also putting together. They shouldn't be too top-heavy on the pitching. So reading the tea leaves a little bit, are there not really any updates on DeGrom? Like you said, he basically missed the last three months of the season. His last start was July 7th. Uh, have you been provided any updates on his health? Yeah, we haven't gotten anything yeah, concrete on his health. Um, the last thing we got was, you know, last week of the season that he was just going to be going through a normal offseason. They said, uh, the Mets said publicly that, that last week of the season that he could have pitched, um, probably, you know, would have pitched had they been in postseason contention, but it just didn't make sense in that last week to to bring him back. So they officially shut him down, um, you know, even if it looked like he'd, you know, been shut down long before that. But uh, he was supposed to go through a normal offseason, so that's kind of still where we're at there. Now, you lose Stroman, but you gain Scherzer. You have Walker, and uh, Taiwan Walker should be back. Uh, Carrasco should be back. Are the Mets still on the market, though, for another starting pitcher to kind of round out this rotation? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think I think they they should be. Um, 
now who that could be, you know, we, we don't know. I mean, but I, I think they really should be in the market for another starting pitcher, a uh, couple relievers. Um, and I think yeah, as much as people want, <laughs> want to see Chris Bryant, I guess that could still, I mean, Steve Cohen's, you know, proven he's willing to spend, but I think, yeah, the, the starting pitcher would be, uh, I know Radon is like the, the, you know, probably the best guy in the market still, uh, but another starting pitcher would, would be really good for them because I do think uh, in recent years, especially the last couple of seasons, we've seen their depth kind of crumble, even if that rotation has been good like it was last year. So anything they can do to get a guy, a, you know, a quality starter to round out that rotation so they're not really shuffling the back end of it with the four and five guys uh, is going to be really good because you hope that Carrasco can – kind of come back to, to be the Carrasco we knew prior to last season. Um, Taiwan Walker showed really, really good signs in the first half last season. Um, and you, you think maybe with now the full workload after Tommy John a few years ago, uh, he might be able to put together a full season. So things are looking good, but yeah, their work, their work isn't done yet, which feels weird to say considering their payroll. I think is that, you know, estimated payroll is like $263 million. Wow, that's I didn't realize it was, it was that high. I think Chris Bryant will probably be out of the conversation with a payroll that high. Now, they brought in Eduardo Escobar, two years, $20 million, big-time power, so-so defense. Uh, the bat, it's it's kind of like an all-or-nothing. It's a, it's a home run or bust type of bat. What does he provide this ball club, and does, does that kind of preclude them from going after Chris Bryant? You know, I, at first I didn't think it precluded them from going after Chris Bryant. But then they signed Max Scherzer, the payroll climbs. Look, like Steve Cohen has proven, you know, like I said a couple minutes ago, he's willing to spend. But, you know, this is still a business. As rich as these owners are, you know, they, they make business decisions. I, I don't know if now, you know, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't, I think it's pretty unlikely that they would get Chris Bryant. But so I think Eduardo Escobar, on that other hand, gives them a viable starting for third baseman, um, I should say. Because, I mean, he can play, you know, second or or third for them, the doors obviously at short. But uh, I think with the lack of production they've had at third base, you know, the past couple of years, like they've got a great bat in J.D. Davis, but somebody who, you know, hasn't shown that he can kind of climb that mountain defensively quite yet. Um, Eduardo Escobar probably gives them a little bit better defense, maybe a bit better of a, a bat. But really, he's kind of like that mold of um, maybe a better version of the, the mold of player they've liked the past few years in terms of the guy who – who's versatile, can really play anywhere, can give you anything based on, you know, who might be in or out of the lineup that day. Um, and I think that versatility, for the, especially for the price they got him at, uh, is, is a really good piece because he's not locked into third base. He's not locked into second. They could theoretically play McNeil at third. J.D. Davis could start it. You know, we, we don't know how it is, but because Eduardo Escobar gives them so many options, they're not locked into doing one thing. So I think it makes them more multiple in the infield. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that you're absolutely correct. They got really great value at a guy who had, just a couple years ago hit 38 home runs. This is a guy, two years, $20, $20 million. That's that's a steal for somebody that versatile. You briefly mentioned uh, Francisco Lindor. He signed that huge contract last season and then had the worst season of his career. What happened with Lindor in New York last year that, made, that, that he was so bad? Yeah, I think a lot of it um... – it's just an adjustment period, not only to the market. I think we saw some things, whether it be like the rat raccoon story or um, uh, something, you know, a couple things like that where maybe he didn't quite grasp the seriousness of the market uh, and kind of the overall 
the, the fans liking the more candid approach. Uh, it's it's really it's not Cleveland, um, and and you know so there's some adjustment there for sure, as well as adjustment to playing in a new league. Like you're seeing arms, you know, you can do all the scouting and all the VR work um, and all the video you want, but I mean you just you have to see arms in person, and you, he saw a lot of new ones last year, and so there's definitely an adjustment period there too. Uh, and then, yeah, when you get out to that rough start, you're getting booed and things like, you know, kind of seemed last year when it rained, it poured, but, uh, and there were some things, you know, in his swing that he talked about, um, that, you know, talked about kind of trying to tweak throughout the season, uh, to get back to what he was. Now, the encouraging part is, you know, the nine home runs he had the last, you know, month or so he played, Mm -hmm. uh, including three of them in that one game against the Yankees, uh, on Sunday night baseball. And so, he really looks like he kind of ended the season looking like the guy you thought he might be in terms of spraying the ball around the field, hitting some home runs. Um, but really, I mean, I think he still gives you great value because the defense was still there. He was a gold glove finalist. And then he's a, you know, he's a leader. He's a guy that guys look up to, guys take to. And I think that's really, really tough for anybody but the guys in the clubhouse to quantify. Right. Um, so you kind of have to take their word for it. But I think, you know, it's not like this guy didn't provide them anything. I mean, he was still, that's what was I actually most impressive to me is he struggled, you know, as much as he ever has in his career at the plate uh, and was still like, you didn't, you didn't see it translate to what he did on the field or, or on the bases. I mean, I still think he's such a kind of, you know, one of those players where he can impact the game in so many ways um, and really show that even if he was, uh, struggling, but I think the adjustment to the market and just like the new pitchers he sees and kind of how guys are pitching him and his guys, you know, have a fresh look on him. So it's you know, kind of you're starting that cat and mouse game all over again. Uh, I think that had a lot to do with it. I certainly, I don't see any major warning signs. I could be completely wrong, but I don't see any major warning signs for the future. I mean, it was a a poor offensive season, but I. <laughs> I think he's usually with these things. I tend to go with talent kind of wins out, uh, especially if the work ethic is there. And I do think he's a guy that's proven. He started slow in a, a lot of seasons of his career. It's just that last year he never really he didn't get it going until a lot later. Um, and I think I, I think he's too good to, to be like that for you know his entire contract. No, absolutely. And you don't get over thirty million dollars a year for a decade if uh, if if you're not good. Now he was part of that thumbs down fiasco with uh, with Javi <laughs> Baez last year. He did ask the fans for forgiveness. How are the fans after that season and after what he and Baez did? How are the fans embracing him in New York? Yeah, embracing the door. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think it's honestly, I don't think that was, uh, I think some fans were upset in the moment, but I think, look, like most fans, you know, when you dole out a contract like that to, to a guy like that, you see tons of Francisco Lindor jerseys around the city field. People are excited because for the first time, their team is not going to let one of these guys get away. Their team is not going to let one of these guys go to a division rival and burn them. Like, no, they signed him, you know, long term. Uh, and I think the you know, while the, the rat raccoon stuff was, was funny, whatever, some fans had split opinions on that, uh, as they did on the thumbs down thing. Thumbs, some thought it was more serious than others. I think everybody's pretty much embraced him. I, I think you, you have that little sliver, and it's tough to take a pulse of the fan base other than like social media, for example, because right. there's just so many fans you wouldn't have be able to reach otherwise. But I think you've got that little sliver of fans that still thinks he's, you know, overrated and still thinks he's got a lot to prove next season and still thinks, you know, they're not going to let him off the hook so easily. But I think for the most part, 
you know, 95% of the fans have really embraced him because, like, you want to embrace a guy like that, right? Like, that's like a franchise cornerstone when you give out a contract like that. You've got the guy who comes in. He's got, you know, he's got the swagger. He's got the personality for New York. He's really a guy that, you know, traditionally you've seen the Yankees have a lot of these guys and, and get a lot of the show uh, and a lot of the play here. But Francisco Lindor, I think, is seen as a guy who can put the Mets on the map. You know, they have Jacob DeGrom. They have Pete Alonso. But those guys don't transcend the game off the field and culturally like Francisco Lindor does. And in such a diverse market like New York, I think he's seen as as that guy kids look up to, as that guy adult, you know, grown men look up to. And I so I think he's I think he's embraced by most of the fan base for what he signifies to the organization. Justin, we talked about this earlier on the show, but there's been a lot of controversy about the Mets in the past few years. They've had some issues with obviously a guy like Zach Scott having the DUI, and you know before that, I believe you you say his name Brody Van Wagen, and I believe is the correct pronunciation of that. But they've had some issues with the the people they've hired and the the dysfunction across the organization as a whole in the past three or four years. How have fans reacted to that? Has the the fan base seen any drop off of interest because of the the dysfunctionality of it? That's a, yeah, that's a good question. The funny thing about Mets fans is that there is uh, no drop-off of interest ever. And I don't just yeah. say that because I covered the t- I think, like, good or bad, the weird thing is, like, they, you know, the, there's always interest. You know, they're, it's funny because, like, they're angry when the team is bad, but I always say, like, anger is better than apathy. And so right. I think the it's passion true. is always there. So there's really no drop-off. Where I think it does affect them is, you know, like, you're a human being. And if you're a Mets fan, it's like you want your team – to play well you want them to be run properly and a couple of those like you had you know the 2019 second half run that that kind of looked promising and so you go into 2020 and then 2021 you know thinking you've got a shot it's like that same dysfunction is there and then Steve Cohen takes over do you think he's kind of the the savior of the universe he's going to save the team he's going to change you know the narrative and then that's still the still the same dysfunction is there and so I think it for fans it just gets like a little disheartening uh at least from the ones I've heard of because they have to, they have to read and hear about thing after thing after thing. And, and so many of them aren't related to the on-field product. And I think that's what stinks for fans the most is that it's like, you know, this stuff's not going on when they're making the NLCS or the NLDS, you know, you know, being perennial contenders It's going on and the team's flaming out. Uh, the team hasn't reached expectations the last few years. Um, and I think that's what's most disheartening is that it's all kind of been one perfect storm where you look back a few years ago and you think that, you know, wow, like this core might have a chance to do some really special things like that core of position players they had. And when you add like a couple of the pitchers, like the Grom in there, like you thought they could do some really special things and they just haven't lived up to it. And I think what puts salt in that wound is that you've had, you know, like the Mickey Calloway situation with a reporter, you know, you had like the, the, you know, they cleaned house when Steve Cohen took over, and then they got Jared Porter, and you had that, and then they got Zach Scott, and you had that. And so it's like, I, I think it for them, it's like this exhausting thing where it just never seems to stop, and they have to hear about it from everybody in their lives. One of the guys that they signed this offseason is Starling Marte, and I love this signing, especially for the Mets. He's and they, they got him at a reasonably good deal. Four years, $78 million. One of the best outfielders in the game. He's got gold glove defense, elite stolen base capabilities, very solid bat. I feel like people don't talk about Marte enough because he doesn't have – he's going to hit home runs, but he doesn't have that 30 to 40 home run power. 
How good is this signing, and how good is that outfield now with Marte and Kana in the fold? Yeah, yeah, that's no. It's a really good outfield, and I'm, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the defense. I think when you look at the Mets' outfield, uh, their lineup, even the last three years. I mean, last year they really struggled to hit. But if you look at them on paper, the last few years, you think like, okay, these guys probably aren't going to have a ton of issues hitting. So I'm not really, you know, I wouldn't be. Yeah, I'm not too down on that. Like, not 30. You know, if he doesn't have Castellanos' power, sure, but. The most important part is at the front end of this deal, they get somebody who at this age can still place a, a great center field, which allows Nimmo to be pushed, you know, to the corner. And, um, and I think that that optimizes them defensively a lot more than they were. Cause Brandon Nimmo really, I mean, really, really improved in center field last year, but, but I think he's still, you know, better served for the corners, especially because, you know, the Mets, it, they were going to get it. If they were going to get a true center fielder, uh, I think Marte is the best bet for them because you just look at the past couple of years. Like last year, it was like people wanted Jackie Bradley Jr. Well, he might be, you know, he's one of the streakier hitters in the game. You know, if if fans were complaining about Conforto slumps, um, you know, I think adding a bat like Jackie Bradley Jr. might have been, you know, <laughs> kind of weird in there. But I think with you with Marte, you get pretty much the entire package. And the most important part being that he plays center field, can push Nimmo to a corner, and then yeah, you get Canna. Um, you know, at the other corner. And I think, really, I think this was probably actually the best way they could have rebuilt this outfield. I mean, I, you know, other than maybe, uh, you know, you looked at them a few weeks back and thought they might get Suzuki, you know, from um, Japan. But, I, I mean, I think they, they rebuilt this outfield in an optimal way, especially because it, it looked like the riding was on the wall uh, even later in the season in terms of Michael Conforto not returning. But, and Starling Marte, you get a true center fielder, which is just really something they've they've lacked. Like, no offense to Brandon Nimmo, because he's said, you know, multiple times that he'd love to play center field long term. He thinks he can do it. And, like, he's shown, I mean, he's a great ball player. Uh, and he gives them a lot. And he's shown that he can improve in center. But to get a guy like Starling Marte, I mean, it just makes your defense better when they're not going to have, you know, there's certainly a place for Dominic Smith in a lineup or a J.D. Davis in a lineup. But they were playing those guys in left field and they're not true outfielders. And so to have three true outfielders, one, and then two, you know, all three having pretty good bats, you know, when you talk about it, I know Hannah might be a little under the others, but I mean, the high OBP guy, um, I think it's, it's really, they actually really did a good job rebuilding the outfield, uh, especially if they, they can add some depth. Well, yeah, I think they did a really good job of just making this team that much more competitive heading into 2022. And then the last piece of that is getting that manager. And it seems like the front runner is Buck Showalter. Uh, it sounds like he had an impressive interview. Is there anything that you know about that interview? And do you put him as a front runner for the managerial spot for the Mets? I think they should go. Uh, yeah, I think they should go with, with Buck. I mean, I think... Um... There are a lot of, you know, other good, the, the reported candidates. I mean, the spot is a good candidate. Quattraro is a good candidate. Um, but I think, and, you know, even Osmus has had prior managerial experience. But I really think, look, you came off of Mickey Calloway, which that was, you know, a disaster. And right. then Luis Rojas, which Luis Rojas got a tough hand. I actually think he'll end up being a very, very good major league manager um, in the long run. But, uh, you know, you have two guys who, before you hired them, never had MLB managing experience. I think you have to have somebody with, with that. And I think um, somebody with a resume and I don't, I, you know, I don't say that because show Walters just had the years, but I think 
a veteran presence like that with some of the stuff we talked about in the show like a few minutes ago, just the multiple, you know, the numerous fiascos of the last three years, things like that affect the clubhouse. And I think you have to have a veteran voice uh, for these guys who are, who are going to be an up and coming team who haven't, you know, a lot of these guys aren't proven winners yet, like, you know, in the postseason. I think you need that veteran voice to, to help lead them. Somebody who's, you know, and that doesn't mean just because Buck Showalter's, you know, 65 years old doesn't mean he can't be collaborative with analytics and, and kind of embrace the newer parts of the game. Uh, so I think that is going to be, I think that is probably the best pick for them at this time. It's just going to be a matter of if they feel he would be collaborative enough and would jive enough with the direction they want to take the organization because they've gotten a lot more forward thinking even in just the last two seasons. Well, look, baseball at its core is still baseball, and Buck Showalter has proven time and time again that this is what he does. He takes teams in a similar situation to the Mets, and he gets them over the hump, and he gets them back into the playoffs. He's a leader of men, and we love Buck here in Baltimore. I think that if he becomes a manager of the Mets, you're going to have a lot of Mets fans down here in the city of Baltimore. And honestly, the guy is one World Series championship away from being a Hall of Fame manager. So I think that I think that Buck would be a great hire up there in New York. Yeah, I yeah, I think I think at this point, uh, you know, I a lot of good younger candidates, but I think you got to have somebody with experience, somebody who knows how to smooth the waters. And look, I mean, he's managed here, but you know, in this city before, and so it's uh, you just have to. The, it's almost funny because the important part here is like as much as it is the baseball, it's like knowing how to navigate this market, which which you can argue whether that should even be important or should even be a thing or not, but it's just. It's just the reality of the situation, and I think somebody like that, like Buck, uh, can help these guys avoid maybe a lot of the self-created controversy of, of the last few years, or, or you know, even if it does happen, help kind of smooth those waters in the clubhouse, because you kind of have to keep steady, and, and you need a guy like that who's, who's seen it all, who's been through it all, um, and I, I, think he'd be, yeah, I think he'd be a great pick for them. Uh, and, you know, even a few weeks back, I didn't know how it would work. They've added so many positions to analytics. They're, you know, they're changing the way player development's done. They're, you know, they're doing so many things differently. But that doesn't mean, you know, a guy like that can't be collaborative. collaborative. And like you said, baseball is still baseball at its core. And I just think the job of a manager these days with how much front offices control is, is really keeping a tight clubhouse. And, uh, I mean, you know, I think Buck is, has had experience with that. You, you just need a guy who is going to be able to navigate the Mets need to get out of their own way, and he's probably the best pick to help them do so. He is Justin Toscano, Mets beat writer for the record up in New Jersey. You can follow him on Twitter at Justin C. Toscano. Justin, do you have anything you want to plug before we let you go today? Oh, no. Yeah, you did it all. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Hopefully we'll talk to you again next season. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, guys. Take care. And again, that was Justin, uh, Justin Toscano joining us to talk about the Mets, who have been very active this offseason. Maybe a starting pitcher, a couple of relievers away, and a Buck Showalter higher from getting back into arguably winning that division and getting back into the playoffs and possibly another World Series. Hey guys, Glenn Clark Radio is asking for your help over the next week. We need your coats and clothes for men, women, and children at Baltimore's Helping Up Mission. We have drop-off boxes set up throughout the area, including at Glory Days Grill in Towson, Mother's North in Timonium, Chick-fil-A, Nottingham Square, Jerry's Toyota, and Jerry's Chevrolet in Baltimore County, Uptown Cheapskate in Bel Air, which is right across the street from where I work. I'll be there tonight if you want to drop off your clothes and then come see your boy and get a drink. 
Uh, and Duffy's Garage in Baldwin. And right here at Meadow Mill, 3600 Clipper Mill Road in Hamden. The box is literally right downstairs. I pass it every day when I come in here. If you drop off coats and clothes, please take a picture and tweet it to at Glenn Clark Radio or email Glenn at PressBoxOnline.com. And you'll be registered to win an autographed 16 by 20 J.K. Dobbins canvas, courtesy of Great Eights Memorabilia. Also, Glenn and Drew Forrester will be at the Towson-UNC Greensboro basketball game Tuesday night. If you bring donations to the game, Towson will give you a free ticket to their game against Hofstra on January 11th. Thank you for helping us help helping up. That first sip. That first bite. Mm. Start your day off right with a delicious breakfast at Royal Farms. Choose from a fantastic selection of fresh Royal Farms breakfast sandwiches and top it off with a rich hot cup of the freshest coffee in the world. At Royal Farms, breakfast is available day and night. It's the freshest breakfast in the world. Real fresh, real fast, Royal Farms. Once again this season, PressBox's Project Game Day is the destination at halftime and postgame for every Baltimore football game. You want to talk about the game without all the nonsense, coach speak, and fluff of your typical show? Tune into Project Game Day. Glenn Clark is with you at halftime, and he's once again joined postgame by your favorite analysts like the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard, Ken Zalis, and more. Watch the show at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports and listen at PressBoxOnline.com slash Radio. Pressbox's Project Game Day, every game day, presented by Glory Days Grill and Window Nation. Sports fans, the wait is over. The all-new FanDuel Sportsbook is now open at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover, Maryland. This is your chance to win big right in your own backyard. Bet on every sport with self-service kiosks and watch all of the action from the best seat in the house. Make every moment more at the all-new FanDuel Sportsbook at Live Casino and Hotel in Hanover. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Please call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit mdgamblinghelp.org. Looking for a simple holiday meal? Try Chick-fil-A Catering. From Chick-fil-A nuggets to mac and cheese, enjoy a variety of tray options sized perfectly for your get-together. Order through the Chick-fil-A app and bring smiles to your family gathering. Availability and order requirements vary. See restaurant for details. The Toyota Tacoma comes in a wide range of models and trim lines. You can choose the perfect Toyota to reflect your unique personality and driving habits. Check out buyatoyota.com for deals on new Tacomas from your local Toyota dealer today. If you change lanes and brake suddenly in front of my tractor trailer, I won't be able to stop. Our lives could change forever. Trucks need room to stop. Don't cut it close. Brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation State Highway Administration. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Mike Ashley dives in on 20 seasons for Brenda Freeze as the head coach of the Maryland women's basketball team as she looks back but also looks forward. Plus, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from every D1 program in the area. And the very first Baltimore interview with Elijah Green, the son of former Raven Eric Green, who could well be the Orioles' pick with the number one spot in next year's MLB Draft. PressBox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores, and you can always find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. 
What's up, everybody? This is Taz Bowser. I can't wait to see you guys for the Taz Bowser show this fall. We're going to be taking the show on the road all over the area. You can meet me and my very special guests. If you can't make it out, you can watch the show on live on Pressbox Facebook page or listen the next day. Find out more about where we'll be by checking out pressboxonline.com slash Bowser. We'll see you all season long for the Taz Bowser show. The next Taz Bowser show is Tuesday, December 21st at Skipjacks on Belleau Road in Overly. The show is brought to you by Pressbox. Grade 8's memorabilia, Window Depot Baltimore, windowdepotbaltimore.com, Duffy's Garage in Baldwin, Duffy's MD.com, and the NFL chick Sarita Hubbard joins the show courtesy of my bookie. This is head bobbing music, my man. I think we've established that. It's just the best. Like, it's, it's, someone should have wrote this tune, it would have been a number one hit. On by whoever wrote it, you you could hear somebody rapping over. This I was gonna movie. say, why don't we put lyrics to this? Like we, we could we, this could be a segment for the bat the batter on during the lockout. Okay? For, for, for all we know, for all we know, this is an actual song that has lyrics. It, it might they be. Just took the instrumental. It might be. Uh, these are the final days to pick up the current issue of Pressbox. On the cover, Mike Ashley dives in on 20 seasons for Brenda Freeze as the head coach of the Maryland women's basketball team. Ashley looks back, but also looks forward. Plus, we introduce you to men's and women's college basketball players from every D1 program in the area. And the first Baltimore interview with Elijah Green, the son of former Raven Eric Green, who could be the Orioles pick with the number one spot in next year's MLB draft. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. And you can always find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. And coming soon, our annual Best of issue, including our Mo Gabba Sports Person of the Year on the cover. So we do tidbit on GCR. Okay. Um, we do it every day. Yep. And the one that I originally wrote for Friday was, I realized it wasn't kind of relevant on Friday to what we were talking about. Okay. Um, so I, I changed it to a Dalvin Cook tidbit about the most 200-yard mm. rushers in history. Mm-hmm. And it was a good one. But it's relevant to this show. So do you know what Thursday was? Uh, in relation to what? In, in baseball history. Oh, in Thurs- baseball history. Do you know what Thursday was? Um, December, what was that? Uh, December 9th. No, I really don't. <laughs> All right, you got me lost here. Did some kind of big trade ha- signing? What happened? Was it, was it? It was a 56-year anniversary of one of the most lopsided trades in baseball history. Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna guess Frank Robinson. It's a 56-year okay. anniversary of the Milt Pappas for Frank Robinson trade. So, I've got some trivia here for you. So, like I said, yesterday marked the 56th anniversary of one of the most lopsided trades in baseball history when Baltimore traded Milt Pappas to Cincinnati for an old. An old 30-year-old Frank Robinson. Frank Robinson would go on to win the AL MVP and Triple Crown while leading the Orioles to their first World Series championship in team history. All told, Robinson would slash 300, 401, 543 in his Orioles career and average 30 homers and 91 RBIs per season while leading the team to four World Series appearances and two titles. Milt Pappas on the other hand, would pitch just two and a half seasons with the Reds before being traded to Atlanta, who eventually traded him to the Cubs. His 404 ERA in Cincinnati was the highest of any team he played for. Of course, we all know of Robinson's Triple Crown season. Mm. Who were the last six Triple Crown winners, and who had the highest war? This is tougher, yeah. so I'm going to give you the years. Okay. Okay? 1942. Ooh, okay. 1947, 
1956, 1966, that's a freebie, 1967, and 2012. Write them down. Write them so down. 2012, Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera. Yes. Okay. So we're one. So uh, 1942, um, Ted Williams. Ted Williams, 1942. Okay. Uh, 1947. It could be Ted Williams again. Ted Williams again. Okay. Wow. All right, um, man. W- what was the next year? 1956. 1956. Um, Mickey Mantle? For Pete's sake, Mickey <laughs> Mantle. All right. Uh, what next? Uh, 1967. 67. Oh, Frank Robinson. We just said that. Oh, no, no, no. I- I'm sorry. Oh. 1966. That was Frank. Six- that, that, that was, was freebie. Frank Okay. 1967. Um. Hmm. That's a little bit tougher. Um, I don't even know if he was still playing at this point, but was it Willie Mays? No. I mean, he might have been old at that point. I'm not sure. No. Okay. See, I thought that you might know this one because uh, it was the last one before Cabrera, and it was such a long—it was 35 years let me think, or 45 let me think, years. Let me think. How long do I get on this? Like, come uh, on. Uh, until you tell me no, I, I, just tell me who it is. You can guess however many you want. Um, I might need, like, maybe, like, the—, the AL or NL, maybe something to help me out here. I'm kind of drawing a blank on this one. He has a relative playing now. Mm. Oh, he's Stromsky. What's his first name? Um, I always forget this one, but it's Carl, right? Carl Yastrzemski. Yeah. Zach, you're a freaking stud, though. Thank you. <laughs> you that was the, you had six guesses and you only got one wrong. I'll take L- it. Like I'll you went Ted Williams. I love Ted Williams. I, I, I was so I like, got, all right, Ted Williams. You go, and then 1947. <laughs> it could be Ted Williams again. It was Ted Williams again. Yeah. And then 1950, you go, Mickey Mantle? Like, I'm, I'm <laughs> I don't know. I, 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 was I like, don't know. I don't think Glenn would have been able to do that. I, I don't know. I don't think, I don't, th- I wouldn't have been able to do that. I wouldn't have been, that was impressive. I'll now, take it. Now, okay. out of all of them, who had the highest war? In a, in that in their in their triple crown season, it probably wasn't Ted because you don't get a lot of defensive war from him. Same with Miguel Cabrera, you're not going to get a lot. Um, Mickey Mantle is a great defender, great hitter, definitely could be Mantle. Robinson, it's a good possibility in that too. Um, and who was the last one I named? I'm just drawing a blank. Carl, Carl Yastrzemski. Yeah, I know. I I don't think it was. I'm going to go with Mickey Mantle. Ooh, close. Wrong? His, okay. his war was 11.2. Mm. The highest war is Carl Yastrzemski. Really? Okay. 12.4. Not only is it the highest war of those, it is the highest war of any Triple Crown winner of all time. Wow. And it is the third highest war overall since 1950. Wow. Doc Gooden, 13.3 mm. in 1986. Yeah. As a pitcher. Yeah. And then he as went a, on to do some weird stuff. As, <laughs> as a pitcher. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. His war was 13.3. It's pretty amazing. Unbelievable. Unfree. Dude, bravo. Thank you. That I was, appreciate that it. Was, that was brilliant. Maybe we I'm, should start doing trivia at the end of these shows. I, I, it might maybe, be fun. Maybe we should. I mean, yeah. it's, it is it is fun. And that yeah. was that was brilliant. I'm, I'm, I'm proud. That we, was, we can do like alternate weeks where I give you some one time. And then, yeah. We, yeah. We start, so, we, so, so next week will be yours. Now d- During the lockout, we can start yeah. that up. Ne- ne- next week will be yours for sure. Nice. Now, that's it for the baseball portion of the bat around. <laughs> um, maybe we can call this one the slap around. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but Ravens. Marlon Humphrey goes down. A, actually, Zach was at my house mm-hmm. last week. What did you think of the place? 
It was great. It was all. I, you know what I really liked was I, I told Laura this too. I said I love all of the Orioles and Ravens memorabilia. There was just so much cool stuff that you had. It, it oh, was yeah. really neat. Yeah, and that was stuff that you, there was stuff behind that curtain that you couldn't see. Oh, okay, so not to be weird, guys. I, I have <laughs> I have got like a, I have uh, a sound yeah. softening curtain in my basement mm. where that I used to have my home studio behind it. Mm-hmm. But then once I started doing all the stuff here, there was really no need for a home studio, mm-hmm. so I turned it into a gym area. Um, but La- it's it's colder back there than it is in the rest of the basement, and um, Laura doesn't. My, my wife, she doesn't want people seeing that, so the curtain is closed. But okay. behind the curtain, we have more Orioles pictures, a Terrell Suggs autograph, and Ed it's Reed, cool. Yeah, and Ed Reed autograph. Um, yeah, no, it, we have a cozy, nice little basement the, there. The Cal Ripken weedy boxes were cool. I like that. Stuff. I yeah. just got those that weekend. Yeah, that, that, no, that I, day, I just got them I, that day. I love Orioles Ravens memorabilia. I have a lot of it myself, so it's I, I, I love seeing. Yeah, and you had some of the unique things I really hadn't seen before, so it's cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you notice the Hall of Fame plates? And I did. Yeah, yeah. Those were awesome too. Yeah, the yeah. guy that was sitting next to Laura, that's my best friend's dad. He mm-hmm. sold those to me for a hundred bucks, and I think each plate is worth like fifty bucks. Wow. So nice. that was that was a steal for me. Um, but anyway. Um. Yeah. So Zach came over. He watched the Ravens game with us. A. What were your thoughts on the two point try? I support it, and I I think I support Harbaugh taking chances in general. Um, because he's a guy who's succeeded off taking chances. I mean, look look at the Chiefs game a few months ago where they had fourth and inches and they needed Lamar to get across it. And if Lamar doesn't, the Chiefs easily win that game as long as Butker makes the field goal. And you know he had missed a few already in that game, so it's not a given. But Harbaugh takes chances, and a lot of times they pay off. And I, I supported it. If and, and someone said this there at your house. They said, look, if if we had succeeded in, in, in making the two-point try successful, then everyone would have been clapping Harbaugh on the back. That's how these things work. I mean, I, I supported it. I think it was the right move. I, I don't really want to go to overtime. So we The Ravens had so many injuries already. Yeah, Well, and, and, and that's the other thing. So as the Ravens are driving down the field, mm-hmm. and they, they, it was a miraculous drive. They had yep. a minute. Yep. And they go down the field, and they score a touchdown. Yep. As that drive is going on, I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, they're going to go for two. Yeah. They're eight and, they're eight and three. Mm-hmm. They're the number one seed in the AFC. It's on the road against a division rival where this win could bury the Steelers and it could give the Ravens to a two-game advantage over the Bengals because the Bengals had just lost that day. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, it's the Steelers. So I knew that's why I thought they were going to go for two. We found out later that Marlon Humphrey had a season-ending injury, and Harbaugh said, yeah. we had no corners. Right. Like, in his mind, if they tie the game and don't win the toss, they don't win the game. Right. Right? So he's going for the win. And look, the throw could have been better, but T.J. Watt was in his face, which is wont to happen when you have the, the poorest offensive line that the Ravens have. Right. And it, may, it was a tougher play, but Andrew should have caught the ball. He should have caught the ball. Right, it hit him Agreed. in the hand. We've seen him make, even in just that game, we see, we saw him make a better catch than that. We've seen him make these stellar-looking one-handed catches. He should have caught the ball. That being said, the Ravens are still in first place. The Steelers lost on Thursday. It's not an easy matchup for the Bengals against San Francisco. It is in Cincinnati, but the 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 49ers are not they're not a pushover. No, and they're they're going to bring the house uh, and. Mixon had the neck injury, so he's yep. g- he's going to play, but you don't know how effective he's going to be. Burrow has been turning the ball over, and he's one of the more sacked quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, it could be a a tough game for the Bengals. So the Ravens, even with a loss, could still keep a, a, a the advantage in the AFC North. With that being said, no Marlon Humphrey. You're going to be turning to Brandon Stevens, Chris Westry. Do the Ravens have a shot this weekend? I think they do. I. I- 
I think Baker Mayfield is still so banged up that I don't really know how well Baker Mayfield's actually going to do. Um, and the, the Ravens were effectively stopping Nick Chubb two weeks ago. So I think there's a good chance they have a shot. I don't think they're going to win, though. I just – the way they played last week, the offense is dead. They're, they've got nothing. There's nobody who's going to give them come in and give them a spark at this point. The running backs are terrible. Uh, Lamar Jackson's been playing horrible. Uh, the, the wide receivers, they don't even target Rashad Bateman anymore for some reason. I, it doesn't make sense to me. The offense is just too far down and too far bad at this point that I just can't see them winning this game. Um, even it, Because, I mean, the Browns, they've had a week off, so Baker could be feeling better because of that. They've had three weeks to prepare for Ravens. Right, and, they, and they've done a lot of preparation. So I don't think they're going to win this game, but it really is a must-win for them. Who the Ravens? Yeah, yes, it's a mu- well, I, really for both teams, really. Yeah, it's a must. It's a must win for both teams. Yeah. I, I look at it and I well, what's your prediction? Uh, I'm gonna go twenty sixteen Browns. Twenty the sixteen Browns. Here's the thing: Did you watch any of those Dan Orlovsky videos breaking down? Yeah, the ring? The, yeah. the receivers are in no man's Run, land. running they, into each other half run, the time they, too. They, like, like you're sitting there and you're like. Lamar's holding on to the ball too long. You see the routes that they're running, yeah. where it's a five-yard in route or five-yard slant route mm-hmm. for for Brown, and he's drifting down the field at twelve yards. Right. Well, Andrews is running in a twelve-yard in. Right. So they're a yard apart. Right. <laughs> then then you look yeah. on the you look on the other side of the field and you have Watkins and Bateman who are three yards apart because one of them is drifting down right. the field. It's so Lamar and you saw Lamar getting pissed off during the game mm-hmm. because that's what he's looking at. Right, his receivers. Any of those balls, if he throws a ball to any of those guys, the ball's picked off. Yes. Or your receivers run into each other, the ball hits the ground, and you look stupid. Now, let's not absolve Lamar here. He he did not see a lot of short plays. No. A lot of guys open in the flats. Devin Duvernay running by himself half the day. He he missed a lot. Because Lamar's biggest problem right now is he's trying to be Superman. Yeah. Lamar is Superman when he's just playing his game. Right. But now he knows, guys, we are so freaking beat up. Yeah. I have to do this. It's he he puts the whole thing, the whole burden of this team in this season yeah. on his shoulders. And he tries to make the big play on every play instead of taking what the when you look at the at the three touchdown well. The three drives that got him into the red zone, the one that ended up with a terrible—that was the worst, one of the worst interceptions you're ever going to see. The, that 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 throw, the throw should have never it's, been. It's made. inexcusable. It, and, it was and, it was and, so bad. And that's the theme. He's got to throw the ball away. He's just got to know when to say, "I got to stop running around in the pocket." Throw the ball away. End the play. That's got to start happening now. There's no question about it. Yeah. No. Th- that was. It was one of the worst plays I've ever seen. Yeah. But the other, the, the drive to get down there, the 99-yard touchdown drive, and the touchdown drive at the end of the game. He was taking what the defense was giving him. Yep. And that's how they get down the field. He's too good to not figure this out. Right. And maybe he figures it out tomorrow. I don't know that he will. Yeah, I'm not I, confident in that. Everybody keeps talking about, oh, the Browns are going to run the ball. They're going to run the ball. Landry's beat up. They don't really have a, any great receivers to speak of. But I don't know how you can't at least try to throw the ball. I think, and, and, and they actually had Ken Carmen. I love Ken Carmen. Mm-hmm. He's out there at 92-3 out in... Um, out in uh, Cleveland, he was saying, I think that the Browns are going to start the game throwing the ball to see what they have in it. Mm-hmm. But he says, I think they're going to run the ball a lot yeah. on Sunday. And they're going to because they have Chubb and they have Hunt, and Hunt is that further removed. And they, they can. And Yeah. 
They, 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 they're going to they, run it because they can. <laughs> well, they, they had, what was it, 26 carries for 40 yards or 20 yeah. carries for 40 yards um, against, against the Ravens the first time around. The Ravens are going to stop the run. They're the best team against, uh, stopping yeah. the run in the yeah. NFL. The Browns are the third overall rushing offense in the NFL. Um, that being said, I think Lamar maybe starts to figure it out, but I think the defense being hurt... I, I told my dad, I can't favor the Ravens in any game the rest of this year. I, I can't I, I can't favor them in any game the rest of the year. I think the Browns are going to win this game 27-17. to Yeah. 27-17. I think it's going to be a loss, too. But, hey, you know, it's... It's the Ravens, and you never know now. It's that's and look, any AFC North game is going to be back and forth and close, and that's just generally how they are. And and I shouldn't say that because the, they've blown out the Browns, and the Browns have blown out them in past and the Bengals two or three years. Them out, blew them out, and the Bengals blew them out. But what generally, I think this game tomorrow is set up for a very close game because both offenses are injured and both offenses have struggled to get things going in past weeks. Well, the Browns know their season's on the line. They can't right. lose this game. They're playing at home. They got embarrassed on on right. Sunday Night Football. Uh, two weeks ago by this team where Lamar yeah. threw four interceptions and the Browns still couldn't do anything and, and win the game. The thing is, too, the Browns have some of the lowest points scored in the league. They barely score, and that's just one of their biggest issues right now. And, you know, there's no Odell Beckham anymore. There's no guy that might come out and, and really destroy the Ravens' corners. I'm not so... Najoku, I think, is questionable, and he's done a number against the Ravens in the past few years. So... I, I think it's going to be all on Jarvis Landry's shoulders, Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt. And if the if the Ravens can find a way to limit those guys, they might be fine. Yeah, I just I, I don't have a lot of confidence. I hope I'm wrong. I hope the Ravens come out and show us something, and maybe Lamar stops trying to do everything and he's starts taking. Stop. What, he, he's got to take what the defense gives him, and, and I, I think that. Hopefully he, he, I know he realizes it. Hopefully he puts it into play, yeah. and we'll see it tomorrow. It's just don't be reckless. That's really what it is. Mm-hmm. Don't be re- and he's been reckless. He's he's playing like he has nothing to lose, and that's really not the case at this point. Um, you know, you can maybe you can make that throw he did against the Steelers uh, last Sunday if you. You can never it, make that throw. I don't know. I mean, maybe for two and ten, <laughs> but my my point is here, like he has a lot to lose. It's not like you have nothing to lose at this point. So you've got to stop trying to play hero ball and start playing team ball and what, what I mean by that is start throwing the ball away start stop trying to run around in the pocket when there's nothing there just get rid of the ball and it's going to make a big difference guys this team is so beat up if they make the playoffs this season's a success yeah. I think and I think right. John Harbaugh has to be in the running for coach of the year with with, yeah. what's, with with what's going on with this team this year next year oh my god man if they stay healthy next year I don't know how you can't pick them to win the Super Bowl. There are a roster. lot of free agents. I mean, there are a lot, including Clayus Campbell, um, including Anthony Averett, including who else? I mean, there's there's a number. Is it of Brandon guys. Williams? Brandon Williams, yep. Brandon Jimmy Williams. Jimmy Smith. Uh, Derek Derek Wolf, I believe, is is a free agent yeah, again. Um, he hasn't played, but he's a great run stopper when he's healthy. Um, Jimmy he may Smith, never play again. He might not. Yeah, I don't know. But uh, Patrick McCarry is a free agent. Um, yeah, but they have Jawan James. Jawan James. Yeah, Jawan James will be back. Hopefully, Stanley's back next year. And then year. the big one, Bradley Bozeman. So that's one that so number two overall in Pro Bowl voting for centers. Yeah, he's really good. And yeah. and the thing is too, when you look at guys like that leaving, not Bradley Bozeman, he's excluded. But the, the Ravens are going to get a lot younger, which is a, a very beneficial thing in my opinion. Well, and on top of that, you're going to get Dobbins back. You're going to get Edwards back. You can get Peters back. Yeah, uh, 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 another year in for for Bateman and Brown. 
Andrews on, under contract. I think that this Ravens team is going to be scary good next year, mm. but they have to stay healthy. I hope they they, they literally everybody blew blew out an ACL or tore a peck this yeah. year. Like it's it's been ridiculous. Guys, thanks for indulging us for a Ravens talk as always during football season. We certainly appreciate it. We'll be back next week with some great, hopefully some great guests, and we'll get some great guests for next week. Special thank you to Stan the Fan Charles for his weekly segment and Justin Toscano from the Record up in New New Jersey talking some Mets with us. Uh, until next week, see ya.